Wrestling Geeks Nation, this is your pal Dane Alves with another enticing episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, a show in which me and my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton, break down the latest and greatest in professional wrestling news and provide you with reviews of the shows from the last week. Uh, this week, we have back Christopher Brother Ray Patton. I'm so happy that you're back on this show, Chris. Uh, Solo was a pain in the ass, and I'm not talking about the movie. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm happy you're here. And, and so is, so is everyone out there. <laughs> I'm so happy. Noise. <laughs> yeah. Insert the crowd noise, WWE style. I'm so happy to be back. I'm very excited to talk about wrestling with you. Sorry. I missed last week for all the fans out there that listened. Uh, I think you did a great job, Dane. You're too hard on yourself, uh, considering the amount of stuff you had to cover, <laughs> but, um, God. yeah, I'm here. I'm 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 live. I'm ready. I'm ready to go, bud. Uh it's been a, it's been a weird week, month, I guess. You know, long December and there's reason to believe maybe this year will be better than the last as uh the Kevin Crows once said. Uh, I like that. I really do. Um love that song. Anyways, but uh yeah, we got one hell of a show for you guys. Uh any new listeners, we do the show uh Usually once a week, sometimes twice. This is going to be the big Saturday Super Show in which me and uh, Chris have quite a few things to cover. Uh, so we get the shows up about usually Sundays after or Mondays after we record them. And uh, if we have too much stuff, we might do an extra show. Most of the time, this is when we do it. You can find our show on pretty much any downloadable uh, platform. Go to redcircle.com. Go go with uh, Wrestling Geeks Alliance there, and they'll show you all of them. That's probably the best one, but you can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, all of your wonderful ways of listening, if you will. And uh, go to uh, Geek Vibes Nation. That's Geek Vibes Nation. That's the parent company, uh, and they have news articles and a whole bunch of other stuff. And, uh, you know, go to our social media. Join Geek Vibes Nation at Instagram, at Twitter. And also on Facebook. And uh, hit me and Chris up. We'll have some conversations. But uh, let's get to the news. We got good good amount of stuff to cover. Um, and let's just start off with it. Uh, two things I'll kind of – well, well, we'll do them individually. But um, in the world of wrestling, uh, they had a final battle last night, Ring of Honor. Uh, I guess this would be a spoiler warning. But um, I guess go forward like a minute or two. But uh, the ending would have uh, Roosh basically retaining his title, the Ring of Honor Championship, against Brody King uh, with a distraction from his brother, Dragon Lee, and interference from Roosh's dad, Le Bestia del Ring. Um, so now they are a new faction. Um, and remember, I don't know if it's... Oh, oh, the name of the faction is La Faction in... in... Ingrobado, uh, or it's like Ingrobado Noble. I can't fucking do this. 
<laughs> basically, these are the guys that uh, made the the faction that Naito's a part of uh, Lij, but they're they're J, they're they're Japanese section. So it's like a new version of it in Ring of Honor with uh, Roosh. Dragon Lee, who is, I believe, the TV champion in Ring of Honor, and now their father, who came back to wrestling. So, uh, interesting stuff. Uh, Rush is now, I guess, a heel, and that is the direction. And with all the time in the day, I wish I can really pay attention more. I'm going to go watch this match, but I've really liked a lot of the, the changes Ring of Honor has done as of lately. And you have three legends and CMLL all related in one faction together. They're probably going to start trying to clear house and uh, a good person to, you know, counter people like Brody King and some of the other people in ring of honor. And also the group that is now uh, uh, hot sauce, Tracy Williams, along with uh, uh, Jay lethal and the ring of honor, pure champion, also tag champion with Jay lethal, Jonathan Gresham. So good stuff, a brewing in ring of honor. I know that you probably didn't get a chance either, but how do you like hearing about this new stable, um, Los Incurbanables, uh, but their new version in Ring of Honor with Roosh, his brother, and his father? I'm gonna get say I'm gonna say it's interesting. I like Roosh as champion. I think he's great. He's been phenomenal with his work in Ring of Honor that I've seen. Uh, the entire idea of an, a faction when you're rebuilding as a super serious product is a bit weird. Because we're basically getting two factions right out of that, what is it, Pride, uh, Powerful and Pride, or Pride for Powerful, or any something to do with Pride, the tournament that they just came out with that uh, Hot oh, Sauce pure won. Tournament. Yeah, Pure Tournament. Um, uh, Gresham won. Gresham won. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah, he got he got the Pure Pure Championship. For some reason, I thought, oh, it's because Hot Sauce beat Jay Lethal. That's right. Yep. I just assumed he, yeah. Okay, They're now so. in a faction together, and Jay Lethal's kind of the odd man out somehow. So it's making it look like Jay Lethal's going to uh, babyface his way out of this group because uh, Gresham's now taking control since Jay's not the champion anymore, and they're, they're the tag champions still. Yeah, so I mean, it's interesting stuff. Uh, I did see the highlights from the Roosh match. I thought it was pretty good. I just, you know, you're you're basically re-kicked your company off, and now you have two factions at the very top fighting each other in a a world where there's a lot of factions. Because MLW is doing this, AEW is doing this, Impact is doing this. I may have personally kept it just strictly what they were doing with that tournament, if it if it was on me, I guess. But you know. Uh, Delirious took over the reins again, so we'll see. I mean, he he's a good booker. He's a good workers there, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do for sure. Yep, interesting stuff. Just wanted to make note. Like I said, it kind of goes into my next topic. That's a smaller topic. Um, Ring of Honor, uh, NWA, who's now kind of packaging uh, different matches that they do on their primetime events for free on YouTube. So that's pretty cool of them trying to like make that. Not a replacement for power, obviously, but something, some type of content. Uh, but NWA, MLW, and Ring of Honor, I'd like to be able to watch more. But, God, there's so much fucking wrestling. Um, and uh, going to the realm of MLW and the realm of hell itself, uh, big wrestler is coming over to MLW. Selena De La Renta is sick of everyone turning on her. And she has summoned, in a pretty damn cool promo video, if you want to go look it up, uh, Mila Martez, a.k.a. 
Judas Messiah or Judas Macias or um, El Macias uh, over in CML, CMLL. So he uh, basically, if you're wondering how he has the rights to this, he purchased them, uh, I think, going into Lucha Underground. So this is a character I've seen him on in the uh, indies. This is Ricky Banderas. Uh, he's a wrestler. He's been around for a while. Uh, Abyss's brother, if you will. But also, I had a huge love for Lucha Underground. I was a big fan, and I thought out of a lot of attempts from people to kind of be Undertaker-like, I thought that they did it very original and had a character that was like that but different. And I've always thought he was a damn good wrestler. He's a bit older, but I'm happy to see a return. And now on top of that, the Von Erichs, you know, Hammerstone, uh, Filthy Tom Lawler, uh, so many reasons. I need to I need to invest a little bit more time. Oh, Mance Warner uh, in, in, in catching up on some MLW. So I'm going to be trying to do that. But like I said, a lot of fucking wrestling. Definitely like the addition of Mil Nortez. I think that that's going to be a lot of fun. What do you think, Chris? have to agree with you i thought he was phenomenal in lucha underground uh even as an older wrestler he still had really good matches very interesting character and on mlw specifically they're throwing him kind of in the mix with once again two factions (laughs) you have tom lawler's faction and and uh god why what rocky romero's faction so you do have like a bit of separation already in the top of the company, but the good matches have came out of it. They have their tournament going on right now, right? I think so. Yeah, no, 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 they do. That's right. That's it's uh, some prestigious thing that, that they have the rights to from stampede wrestling. Um, I can't remember. I've, it's a tournament that originally Stu Hart won, but I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, so I saw where Filthy Tom was in a tournament match, but I haven't uh, had the ability to dig too much into MLW. I love Mil Mortes. I am very sad that Lucha Underground's not a thing. I think it walked a really good line of being... I would say keeping it kind of the most kayfabe, if that makes sense. Because they're even though they were ridiculous, they were always that ridiculous. Like, the storylines always made sense. They ended in wrestling matches, but, like, you know, like Prince Puma coming from a volcano, for instance. There was good stuff there. And if you guys haven't checked that out, uh, I think it may still be on Netflix. Uh, Go check out Lucha Underground. It's good stuff. I'm very sad that that company doesn't exist anymore, but Mil Morte is an absolute legend. And I'm sure he will have some really interesting stuff with, you know, Filthy Tom or their heavyweight champion. Uh, his name escapes me right now. Jacob Fatu from um, another faction in uh, Contraband, along with, uh, whatchamacallit, um, uh, the Sheik's grandson, who was trained by Sabu. I forgot what his name is. Yeah, but uh, the promo was great. You sent it to me. Really enjoyed it. I haven't had a chance to watch the full episode yet. I me have neither. liked what filthy tom has been doing i loved the i guess it was the battle royal from two weeks ago um but yeah outside of that i mean they're doing interesting stuff i i guess a question for you dane would be like how do you feel about the fact all of these companies are leaning more towards like new japan with all the factions because it seems like factions are just starting to bubble up yeah or if or it's almost like a three-man group or something that's good they have managers back, but it always seems like, yeah, inevitably there are a bunch of factions. Um, I don't know. Maybe this is kind of like 
the late 80s, early 90s, where you saw a lot of that in both WCW and Crockett and then also in uh, WWF at the time, uh, where there was a lot of either groups or factions. Uh, but yeah, it's it's kind of something I liked in New Japan until it became way just chaos versus and not like the, the faction chaos. But it was always like chaos versus LIJ versus Bullet Club, pretty much. And then there was other ones like uh, Tezuchi Goon or whatever the hell. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that if done correctly, it's awesome. Like, I love the Von Eriks and them getting managed by, uh, whatchamacallit, um, uh, Kevin Von Erich, their father. Uh, that's It's fun, but, you know, you get the promos with all three of them. And I love uh, MJF's old faction. Uh, that Hammerstone, now it's just him and Richard Holiday are holding down uh, the dynasty. But it is pretty faction-heavy in wrestling. I, I, I do agree with you. Uh, it's it's kind of funny. The only ones that don't seem to be doing it is WWF. Um, I mean, they do obviously have factions, but they So they seem to be the, the, the ones not doing so many factions. Is it something that bothers you a bit? It's it's not that it bothers me because I think a lot of the factions make sense within the individual companies, but it is something that is going across the landscape of wrestling right now. I mean, uh, I guess I I don't know if you can consider Roman and his cousins a faction yet, but that's basically a faction. And you have Undisputed Era, you have uh, uh, Pete Dunne and his group. What are, what are they calling it with Pat McAfee? Kings of Wrestling. Kings of Wrestling. So you, it just seems like even across the board, which is this is very crazy talking about WWE, but there does seem to be factions building all across wrestling, which is a bit weird. I mean, we had NWO and DX, and we've had the Four Horsemen and like the uh, Legion of Doom and stuff before, but I can't remember a time in wrestling where you had this many actual groups of like three or four people all at one time in different companies. And they're all interesting. I mean, it's not yeah. that the, the story's bad or anything. It's just, uh, it's, it's a weird thing to book around because you have to put that group over somehow. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But it, well, it's, it's just kind of a weird thing. Yeah, and um, I'm sure there will be about five that will be named next week. So let's get ready for that. Um, but let's also keep on going and uh, leave MLW. Uh, I want to talk about a big key thing that was announced, I think, as of yesterday, that Triple H um, will, has a creative team uh, mainly consisting of Gabe Sapolsky, who used to do that for... Um, what you call it, evolved before that Ring of Honor, and he was basically the protege working underneath Paul Heyman for a very long time as well in ECW. So he has a ridiculous amount of experience. But they need, it sounds like, a since NXT is becoming its own brand, since NXT has people that are have either been on it for a long time, like Johnny Gargano, um, or or other people like that, uh, uh, Tommaso Ciampa. Uh, Adam Cole that are that are very very important for that brand. Finn Balor being a major one. Um, they're going to use a newer 
NXT, basically Evolve, what they were doing beforehand, uh, led by Gabe, and kind of harness more of the greener, newer wrestlers. So obviously, I think that if you already have a pretty big name within the indie or whatever um, industry, uh, you'll probably get put on NXT on USA, but they themselves kind of need a feeder system as well. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested in this. Um, I'm not 100% sure. I need to bring up the article if they're doing this on the network, uh, but it's going to be, yeah, it actually is going to be. And the, the goal is to start the show on, on a WWE by early 2021. So it should be coming up soon. Are you excited about Gabe Sapolsky having his own uh, version of NXT, if you will, with some of the less experienced wrestlers, uh, getting them ready for NXT to get them ready basically for Rohan SmackDown so they can fuck them up? I am excited. It Well... I'm excited if they're going to let Gabe Sapolsky be himself and really book a show. I mean, this is the guy that created Ring of Honor. He was one of the original creators of Dragon Gate USA. Um, a lot of the talent that you see on the main roster and even in NXT has came through his grasps. Uh, even in AEW, look at someone like Darby Allin, like that was one of Gabe's guys, or someone like uh, Austin Theory, who is... I, I'm assuming they're going to push based on what they've been doing in NXT is one of his guys. Like he's really good at finding talent and uh, he's had to work with a lot of his talent being stolen in the past. So he probably is the guy to do this. Uh, the, the only thing that the only thing that worries me is it's a WWE network show. And I know a lot of people really love these behind the, like was like 24s or these like very open discussions like the FCW one. They are very openly talking about how wrestling is just fake and just a performance art. So I hope that this show doesn't, isn't a continuation of that. I think that I know this sounds crazy because uh, it's wrestling in, in 2020 and everyone knows what it is. But like if you're a young kid and you're watching this and you you watch one of those, like you watch the FCW thing, you're like, oh, so they just trained to do this for like six years. I hope it's not just footage of the performance center, them taking bumps like tough enough and then just random matches. But if they're going to like like Gabe Sapolsky, maybe pick some people, for instance, like an Austin Theory to be his champion, which would make sense. Um, And then like build them slowly i'm completely down with it it's just i like that triple h is involved in it and that he's friends with gabe because gabe had said that he retired when evolve shut down so it's good to see gabe sapolsky back in wrestling but uh i don't know i guess my uh my entire thing is just like what is wwe actually gonna do with this and i mean to me i love the idea of a feeder system they definitely should start building some tag teams. I would probably pull a legend down like Drew Gulak or, you know, Matt Riddle or um, I was going to say Darby Allen, but he obviously can't be there. Um, get one of the past Evolve guys to be their first champion to transition and help build them that way to give them some notoriety. My, my worry is it's going to be like, you know, 
um, NXT UK, which is great. There's good wrestling on that, but they don't do enough to promote it. And I don't want this to fall in the same thing. And, and, and the other worry is, like I said, if they try to make this into like a tough enough thing, because there is a line with kayfabe for me that's like well now you're not even trying it's like if if, it's like if the magician just hands you the dove it's like here it is (laughs) it's not gonna fly anywhere here it is yeah i i actually don't have that much of a problem with it but the illusion itself is nice i would assume this would be pretty much like how nxt was or at least on the level of, of NXT UK or, or 205 Live, where it's you know just a, a wrestling show. Questions really that I have are: What is going to be? Are you going to have your like like you were saying? Is there going to be a championship? So are we going to have more championships within WWE? Um, maybe is this a place where you can use the North American title as a top title um, and kind of have them um, you know defended on the pay per view together? But that's where that that one kind of stays, uh, you know, because NXT, like like I said, it's evolved. Um, I I really could see a lot of some of the even older guys that are a bit more green um, coming in there, getting a couple decent names. Like you said, it would be good to have Austin Theory. I would love Matt Riddle, but I don't see fucking WWE. They they'd rather have him be the dumbest fucking stoner um, on the planet. But that 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 would be awesome, um, and kind of kind of work it around the North American champion uh, would be uh, my thing. But yeah, developing tag teams so we can have some um, anywhere uh, Raw, SmackDown, or NXT that would also be pretty cool. But um, and also there's a lot of women. There's not a lot for them to do. You can also get some of them. Uh, you know, it sounds like it's going to be more or less not NXT light, but a instead of like a second show, if you will, for NXT just to, to keep on going with storylines, its own entity uh, in itself, which I'm completely down for. And I think Gabe is a pretty fucking great wrestling mind. So I'm I'm OK with uh, allowing him to, you know, stretch. But I would assume mainly it's going it's, to I don't know why the fuck they would try to do like a tough enough thing. That would be really dumb. Hopefully they don't. I'm that's just like worst case scenario in my mind. Um so do you think this could be like an Ohio Valley wrestling? You remember Jim Cornette was booking. This seems like this may be more of that, and the only worry I would have there is them sending people down and pulling them up really quickly. Um yeah. but like you look at someone like Drew Gulak, which they're what was he doing recently? Chasing the twenty four seven title, I guess. Like well, he's perfect. involved in our next uh, news story, but yeah, he's. I think he's now training more than anything, and then doing that uh, silly shit, unfortunately. But yeah, should go there. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, the next news story is him training other people how to wrestle, right? Yep. Okay, so yeah, maybe send him there. That would be the guy. You could have him be the head. Um, I feel like he's a great talent. Gabe's done good stuff with him in the past. I would say I will say this to everyone listening. That show is going to take like three or four weeks, so don't give up on on day one. Like, don't quit. If that's what they're doing, is they're using development talent, give Gabe Sapolsky some leeway. He will book a good show. It should be a really good wrestling show. 
by like the fourth or fifth fifth week when he figures out where everyone's at and can you know try to put together some storylines um i think gabe is one of the best bookers in the business one of my favorites i love his time in ring of honor um and i love a lot of the evolve stuff so i'm very high on him and it's really cool that Triple H kind of came out to bat for him to do this show. It's like, the, uh, I called him. This is his guy. Because like I said, Gabe said he retired last year. He said he was done once uh, WWE bought Evolve. So, I I mean, I kind of knew that he was in the background somewhere. But I didn't know that he might one day be booking a wrestling show for WWE, which is crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And um, this is kind of a connection story of... Uh, the performance center. So we'll, we'll move on to this because like you said, I could see some, some, um, some of these guys, maybe just like Ohio Valley wrestling um, popping up on this. Some of the wrestlers we're going to talk about in this next uh, story and letting Gabe kind of get them a bit better um, for some type of television show, much to what NXT was, um, you know, not too long ago before, you know, it was on USA and, and, and stuff. So, we had a report um, that several wrestlers uh, that basically Vince had kind of a meltdown and said that certain wrestlers need to work. I think they said extra on Tuesdays and Thursdays uh, at the performance center itself um, with apparently Drew Gulak is one of the trainers and Adam Pierce to get better at being you know, what's considered a giant, a big guy, that style of wrestling that he likes to cling to. Um, <laughs> uh, were you going to say something? I was just laughing at the fact that Drew Gulak and Adam Pierce are training giants to teach them how to wrestle. <laughs> well, and, and that kind of goes with an assumption that um, I have about it. I don't think they're going to be the two guys uh, just training these guys. So the, the people that were on the list, and a lot of people were mad, uh, mainly about the first one, maybe the first two, uh, were Keith Lee, Otis, Mace, who's Dio Madden, Dabakato, and Omos, which is AJ's bodyguard. Um, and there were a lot of people resenting this. Uh, Shane Helms, who literally just got hired back when he was furloughed off for a while, uh, kind of came to bat for this whole concept saying that you never stop trying to get better. And um, they've interviewed Otis and, and, and Keith Lee, which obviously you're going to do something rather political in your statement, but saying that this is actually a good thing. I think this is the undertaker who's going to be also helping up with these two guys. They wouldn't announce that. I think that Vince has a certain style for big men. That's what he goes for. And we know from what Paul just said, at, right before the last takeover uh, in the, the media scrum that Undertaker has been involved a lot more lately, uh, in and out, working with certain people. And starting next year, it's going to be even more. It's like he's going to be a- around a lot. Uh, and I can see him working with people, like we've said, like with Damian Priest and uh, latching on to Killer Cross, um, probably some of those guys, Bronson Reed, some of the bigger dudes, but also some of the smaller dudes too. But Maybe have I don't know if he's gonna teach as much as Sean does, but have his own group of individuals like Sean developed, like Ricky developed uh, back even before that, you know. So what I'm assuming kind of, and it could be wrong, is that 
Taker is going to probably be involved with some of these guys and trying to get them a bit more crisp in the ring. Um, as far as people getting mad, I I get I get your fears, and especially with someone like Keith Lee that we know is experienced and stuff like that. But at the same time, I don't think it's as as big of a deal. You know, if you listen to Jim Cornette kind of cover this, and several people have said the same thing. That's what a lot of people had to do in uh, OVW. You had the big show fucking going down there who was pissed about it, but just to get some fine-tuned training. And obviously, this is a crazy old man. Uh, I get why people would be, you know, kind of, why the fuck would you have to send Keith Lee there? But this is what they're going to do, and uh, that's what they're doing. I, I don't know. I, I, have, I have no confirmation on the Undertaker stuff. I'm kind of assuming that, based on what Triple H said, but, um, yeah, they want them more like big men. And obviously, Elmos is not even ring ready because we haven't seen him do anything in the ring. So uh, what when you heard about this, what did you think, Chris? So I was a little I, I was insulted by the fact they sent Keith Lee down because I think that he's a, a ready made star that's that's good for the roster. But then I really thought about it. And you have to think about a WWE match which is going to be five to six minutes. I don't know that I've seen a good Keith Lee patch. That's five to six minutes. He's really good at wrestling and setting up spots and, you know, give him like 20, 30 minutes. He's going to have a great match. It's not the worst thing in the entire world. It's not like they buried him in booking or anything. Uh, so when they said this originally, I immediately thought he was going to be taken off raw when I heard this and they're still pushing him so like if it's just a training thing and they're still going to utilize these guys i don't have as much of a problem with it i mean keith lee is the outlier because i think he's phenomenal and could kind of go any other promotion and be great um but but yeah I, like i don't have a huge problem with who they sent down and i mean like drew gulak he's really good so like you know i i i think like you know, working with someone like Taker, who's done these WWE matches forever on Raw and SmackDown for what, like 30 years or 30 years, as he would say. Um, it's not the worst thing in the entire world because the WWE product is very different than like an AEW or an NXT. You're not going to get, you know, you're not going to get like a 20 minute match every night or like a 15 minute match with two commercial breaks. You have to get your shit over in like six or seven minutes. So, you know, I, I think you have to look at it that way. I don't know if that makes sense, but like you have to look at it as like you have to know where your spots are. Like Taker, I hit my six spots. They look really good on TV. And then, you know, I'm I'm the Undertaker versus like, you know. You know, an AEW match is like, we're going to give you 18 minutes. You guys go out and, and just like bring the house down. You're not going to get that on WWE. It's not how Vince uh, does TV. So that's how I looked at it. I don't think it was like Vince being like, this guy can't fucking wrestle. I think it's more like, I need you to learn how to wrestle like Randy Orton in a five minute match. Yeah. And I completely agree with you. And, you know, like I said, I, I can see why people would be a bit concerned, but I don't think this is that big of a deal. I just wish Keith Lee was still in NXT, but that's just separate from everything. And that's just displayed of what, uh, you know, he's doing on the main product, quote unquote, main product. Um, but let's move on. 
uh, we got some information about a new thing that's going to be uh, one of the documentaries on Dark Side of the Ring, uh, along with uh, the confirmation they're doing a Brian Pillman one. They're doing WCW uh, New Japan event in uh, North Korea, that crazy-ass fucking thing that happened, and one about the Smith family, including Grizzly Smith and Jake Roberts, um, you know, and that whole entire thing. But the newest one, apparently they're doing one on death matches uh, specifically. Uh, they were in Philadelphia. They're interviewing uh, Nick Gage, who confirmed this, uh, just talking about his career. And apparently they're going to go and... Uh, go into um, Onita's FMW and a lot of other stuff uh, for one of their documentaries. So that should be really fucking cool and really interesting. And I think the first time someone might actually see Mr. Pogo on uh, on American television. So that that's uh, that's pretty cool. What do you think about this, Chris? Very interesting stuff indeed. Um, the wrestlers did a – the it, well, it's a show on Vice – it was called The Wrestlers, and one of them was hardcore, and, and one of the people they talked about specifically was Onita and how he no-showed a CZW show, and I think like Dick Gage and a few other people were there. So it'll be interesting to see the take they do on this, but if they're going to start talking about like ultra-violent wrestling in America, the one thing I would want is like John Zandick. You know, the the creator of yeah. CZW, like that would be the guy I would want to hear an interview from. I mean, he's absolutely nuts and kind of crazy, but that's what gets you to watch that show to some extent. Um, interesting. The thing about like when you think about great death matches from F- FMW or F- was it what? God, I just slaughtered is it FMW. FMW. Yeah, so when you think about those, you think about like like Terry Funk and Cactus Jack or like Vader or a lot of gaijin guys going over and doing these crazy matches outside of Onita. How do you touch on those legends? I mean, I guess you can get Mick Foley and Terry Funk and, and some of the other cats that are still alive. But I mean, a lot of the stuff back when you used to get these cassettes, right? You had to go to the flea market. You have to bootleg these cassettes to watch FMW stuff. Um, it's going to be interesting. I would love for them to do that, like like a whole episode about what being a wrestling fan in the 90s was like, especially if you liked all of wrestling, which the Young Bucks talk about in their book, which is really good. I'm like halfway through with it, so I highly recommend listening to that but like or reading it. I said listening because I think it's on Audible as well, but... Um. Yeah, it. Uh, that's interest. That's very interesting. I'm excited to see it. It will be an atrocity if you're going to talk about CZW and not have John Zandick. Yep, makes sense. You got to go back to, and I think this is something where you need Terry Funk a part of it because you can go back to the Texas Death Matches and that introduction, and um, you know Terry's kind of a part of this thing. Uh, obviously Mick is as well, certain other wrestlers, uh, through what happened throughout the nineties that made it so popular and polarizing Onita's involvement with them, FMW. And yeah, I want to, I want to see it all. I want to see the guardian, AKA Mike awesome. Who's like this ultimate warrior ripoff, but still badass. I want to see the Leatherface and Jason Voorhees. I want to see all the ridiculousness that was this organization where legends, like Terry Bam Bam Gordy or fucking Mick Foley or, or 
whoever would come in and work these ridiculous matches. Like, I'm talking barbed wire ring with fucking explosives and all the uh, the turnbuckles or, or the, the uh, landmine matches uh, in the middle of the fucking ring. Like, craziness. I, I, I have to see this. Uh, Mr. Pogo has to be on this. Big Mr. Pogo, Mark. Hayabusa, for fuck's sake. <laughs> One of the greatest goddamn Japanese wrestlers of all time. Fuck. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe I should tweet at them and make sure he's involved. But um, I would say Sick Nikamondo, who is such a huge part of CZW and ultraviolet wrestling, especially after ECW ended. Um, he should definitely be a part of it. He he did the uh, if you remember the debut promo for Moxley, right on Twitter. Yeah, he does that, and That's he's right. also working in AEW as a as a director and doing some of the video packages and stuff. I think he would be a very interesting person to hear because, like, if you watch the uh, I think it's Unscarred which is a documentary about his life, which I highly recommend. It's actually really, really good. Uh, it, it's, it's, I, I don't want to say it's a dark take on what ultraviolet wrestling was, but he basically is saying, like, I was dealing with my depression through this, Jeez. like, through getting brutalized. So it's, it's, uh, it's a great film. He's a really cool dude. I think he's one of the biggest people in CZW. Anita, obviously, I think still a living legend. Terry Funk. Um, it would be cool to have Necro like Brody Butcher. Lee. Necro would be great. Brody Lee's wife, maybe talking about like the aftermath of some of the shit that he did, which was not like death matches, but I would say he's one of the originators of stuff going haywire in Japan with the brawls that he would have. Um there's that. I mean, that's to me. Oh, that's you, one of the coolest you mean, episodes. You mean Bruiser Brody, not uh, Brody Lee, right? Yeah, yeah, Bruiser Brody. Sorry, uh, I sorry, I have my notes pulled. <laughs> yeah, Bruiser Brody, team. the greatest tag team of all time. If they were together, that would be amazing. Um, yeah, no, but yeah, Bruiser Brody. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. That's a really interesting. Up? Oh man, I wish you wouldn't have asked me that. Now we gotta look it up. I can't remember if it was Bal- Balls Mahoney passed away recently, or not recently, probably like a couple of years ago, if I remember, which is sad. R.I.P. Balls Mahoney. Oh man, he died in 2016. Yeah, I think we we got caught with a couple of ECW guys, but like you know, Sabu, for instance, would be yeah. a good guy to get. Um, by the way, donate to Sabu right now if you guys are huge Sabu fans, UCW fans. Not his wife, just lo- or, wife, long-term manager, girlfriend. I don't know what you wanna, like how we should advertise that, but uh, she just lost a limb and has a ton of medical bills. So if you're a huge Sabu fan, like maybe throw him five bucks on yep. the GoFundMe page. So check out his Twitter. All right, well, I'm excited about that. It should be uh, one of the cooler episodes, something that's not so depressing, because I definitely think that the Pillman one's going to just hurt my soul because of the whole ending of that story. If you want to hear more about that, Dave Metzler did a great, um, long, in-depth interview with Chris Jericho on his podcast about Brian Pillman's career. So uh, a lot of good stuff. Love the uh, the documentaries themselves, but let's move on since we still have more news. 
Holy shit. And the next one is a doozy. Before we before we move on to that, you heard they canceled they were gonna do a China one and they canceled it, right? Yeah. Um I forgot the reasons why, I guess were were they gonna report stuff that was too much? I don't know if it's I think to me it's probably just video rights because she did so much reality TV and stuff after her WWE career. But if they're going to do one, I would like them to lock that down and do one for China because uh, I don't know if it for the listeners out there. China did release a, an autobiography yep. towards the end of her career, which is, is is a good read. Very interesting, specifically the stuff around Triple H and how she got into the wrestling business in general. But uh, that would be one that I'm really looking I would really look forward to watching because there's not say like Brian Pillman kind of everyone knows the story. Right. Um, and that's the, I guess that's the thing. If you're like a, a hardcore wrestling fan, you know, a lot of these stories before it gets there. I, like China. I don't know that everyone knows her story like throughout her entire life. So that that's to me is a little more interesting than someone like Brian Pillman. Like, you know, he played for the Cincinnati Bengals, tore his knee up, became a wrestler, you know, had a drug addiction. Obviously, things went bad because of his injuries and wrestling and all that i think everyone knows that story uh i don't know about that i i would rather know more about pillman than china (laughs) each their own i guess well i mean i i I guess it's just because i know so much about pillman maybe that's the thing is like i i want to see stuff i don't know about which is why i liked the wrestlers which is also on vice where they would do stuff like you know, we're going to go to uh, Ghana and see, like, voodoo catch wrestling, which is, like, a very niche thing they did there. Like, that kind of stuff, it, to me, is more interesting than just your WWE-style documentaries. So, hopefully this season, I mean, they've done some good stuff, like the Eddie Guerrero, Crispin Watt, well, the Crispin Watt documentary, which was mostly about Eddie Guerrero, uh, <laughs> was really good. But, and then they do some good stuff and there's some fun stories, but I just wish they maybe like cover like a random wrestler, like do gorgeous George or something, you know, like really dial that. That's the only thing I would want out of that show is to do maybe a story that's not as well known. Well, you know, I mean, they, they did Herb Abrams. A lot of people don't know that much about that. They did Gino Hernandez and his death and Dino Bravo. So they, they, they got a little bit niche, but they have to have some, type of commercial people like Benoit to get new viewers, you know, I mean, they are, they are trying to sell a television show. I, I think a great one would be like, if you package it as Muhammad Ali, Ric Flair, Gorgeous George, and talk about the gimmick and how it, you know, went through the entire, like evolved. if you're looking for big stuff, yeah. How it evolved. I think, I think we always end on this. Usually when we talk about um, dark side of the ring, I just want to see a documentary about old old school wrestling, uh, the evolution of wrestling from the beginning of, of, of this industry, uh, from the late 1800s, even before that, and kind of going through, finding out more information about uh, people like Luthez and his career, or, uh, you know, George Hackenschmidt and Frank Gotch and their rivalry at the beginning of the 1900s. Um, uh, you know, just a lot of other stuff. Ed Strangler Lewis... Uh, Freddie Blassie, you know, these let gorgeous George really get to know uh, Jim Londis, some of these huge names in wrestling in the first half of the century that would kind of, 
give you your your Buddy Rogers that would give you your Ric Flair's, kind of like you're saying. But the beginning of the evolution, because I know little bits and pieces, but there's no video stuff, obviously. It's just a lot of, you know, uh, stuff that you can read about. And I don't like reading. Yeah, and I I like the ones that I know WWE wouldn't do. Like, if you gave me a Dixie Carter, for instance, or like a oh, Jeff God. Jarrett. Or, you know, like Jeff Jarrett, for instance, him and Jerry Jarrett starting TNA like that in itself should be an episode. But he's under contract with WWE. So there's it's just there's so much information with all the podcasts that we have now for me to stay interested in a documentary about a wrestler. It has to be really good or has to have people that I really care about. Like, for instance, the uh, ESPN 30 for 30 with Ric Flair. It was huge. Like a lot of people loved it, but nothing in that documentary, as well as it was done, yeah. was new shit about Ric Flair. It's like, oh, that's just Ric Flair. And and kind of counter that point, that's why I kind of enjoyed the Andre one that was on HBO because they talked about his life in France, his parents, his family, the ranch that he lived on. They gave you a lot more information you didn't know, unlike – and even though I did like it, the 30 for 30 for Ric Flair where they – showed you all the notes that you already knew about with him. And I mean, kind of showed and broke down him as a person as opposed to the character, but not really giving us new information being a wrestling fan, like you're saying. So I do agree with you. Yeah. And I, I guess a comparison would be like the new Jack one, for instance, like if you're a wrestling fan and you know who new Jack is, you knew all that shit going in. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's fun to hear new Jack talk about it. That's why you're there is to hear New Jack talk about, yeah, threw him off a fucking scaffold. I'd do it again. Like that kind of stuff because he's New Jack. But like it didn't it wasn't anything groundbreaking. Right. Like the actual story there should have been the what happened to the guy that like he cut up in the uh, was it the mass transit? Like what yeah. is that? That's the story <laughs> you should tell. Not the New Jack. We all know what happened to New Jack. He's on Cameo, by the way, sending Christmas. Uh, everyone check that out. It's fucking oh hilarious. God. Him and his son are just so like, many of them. <laughs> his son's just I, I don't know if it's his son, but there's like a random kid in the background with a fucking box cutter and he's got a crossbow. It's wild. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> the Enzo ones are fucking hilarious too. definitely check out Enzo and New Jack on Cameo. Just ridiculous. Um, all right, let's move on to our next topic. Chris, this is a big hot topic that happened. Uh, Jr. Mm. He's on J- uh, Grilling JR, his podcast that he does with Conrad Thompson, going in depth about wrestling. But usually at the beginning, JR kind of vents uh, a little bit about this and that. And this time he uh, he made he made some people in AEW and some AEW fans kind of angry by stating his opinion on certain signature moves uh, being overdone, uh, i.e. the super kick and the DDT, and also the dive spot. Uh, in which everyone kind of gets together and waits for the other person to jump out. So this is this is his his words. I wonder if I could do a JR. Uh, no, that evolution of the business is bullshit. Or that the business is evolving. How the fuck do you know that's evolving? Not you, Conrad, but in general. Yes, they should be protected. Of course they should. Well, we don't see right hands. But if you hit me with your left, it will register. What? But if you hit me with your right, 
I'll sell like a drunk man. Come on. That's so stupid. The DDT is a finish instead of a transition spot. Shawn Michaels, same thing. The super kicks are just a part of the flow of the match. Nobody wins with it. And what does that say to you? Does it say that back in the day, guys were more prolific at delivering a DDT or super kick than they are in a generation where they think that it's evolving and changing? I want some proof of that shit. I want someone to prove to me that it's changing the wrestling business today and it's, and, uh, it's making a difference. Maybe it is some uh, people's eye, but it's, making, it's not making a difference to me. Uh, they go for the holy shit, this is awesome chance it's a spot folks it's a trapeze act come on i don't buy into that the dp is a great finish and it should be used uh as such you're not as pro or, or you're not as good as uh, jake the snake was and you can't execute it what if i said it on commentary boy folks do you remember those ddts and when somebody hit them uh it was over and i actually think that he has said something like that before i guess these guys just aren't as good as what the uh, legends used to be that ain't gonna help nobody, and there is, uh, there is, uh, there the same with the super kick. So yeah, it's uh, not big on that. The business has changed concept. Tell me how the business has changed, and how you bastardize established moves. And then he started uh, more on um, talking about uh, when they huddle up together for that whole entire thing. Uh, he says uh, they go outside, cluster up like quails. Stand there in a huddle, friends and foes together, side by side, to catch some leaping idiot going over the top that never wins the match with that move. So uh, some um, some harsh words from, from Jim Ross. Um, I have to say I agree with them. Uh, besides that, uh, Darby Allen was in an interview recently. He did a short eight-minute interview kind of going into certain questions. I would actually go out of your way to try to check it out. It was fun. Uh, finding out about what he thought about this whole Sting dynamic and whatnot. And he says that he loves JR, and he completely agrees with him. He actually says in the interview before that even gets brought up that there's a lot of guys that he works with that he thinks that they just don't take stuff seriously. You hear about wrestlers uh, like Jungle Boy, even Orange Cassidy, from what you know, from what JR has said, um, uh, MJF, obviously, Sammy Guevara, some of the younger dudes do take what JR, what all the the the, the uh, big producers slash agents, you know, with your Jerry Lynn's, your Dean Malenko's, and all the, the, the managers, Arne Anderson, Tully Blanchard, they go to them. They're trying to learn their craft. They're trying to get better at that, and they take that criticism. Um, and I know that Darby Allen does do high spots over the ropes, but the way he does it, it's fucking devastating. So... I just – that spot in general drives me fucking nuts. Um, watching at AAA, I kind of made a comment last episode about how at least with the camera angles, they don't make it – They you just – when you see five guys that are obviously waiting, they kind of cut to the person in the air, and then it comes down with it. And a lot of times it just looks ridiculous. The super kick from my favorite wrestler of all fucking time, Shawn Michaels, has been just abysmal. I mean, Dolph Ziggler's, I think, the only person actually uses it as a finisher. Uh, it's a clothesline. Actually, a clothesline is more impressive than a super kick if you talk to people like Walter and Okada. So I, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I kind of agree with a lot of this stuff. The pile driver is a good example. The Canadian Destroyer is a really good example of that. 
uh, the DDT, like he said. And I know that there were wrestlers that weren't happy with this. Uh, an anonymous wrestler said that it's – and I, I get what they were saying, uh, but apparently told – I think it was Wrestling Inc. that it's hard. You know, We want to listen to Jim Ross, but when he sometimes even buries us on television of doing certain things, it's kind of hard to – want to take advice from him or something to that extent. I, I, to me, get your fucking head out of your ass and try to do some more dynamic stuff. If you think that this is all the young bucks do personally, one of those smaller wrestlers, you're not fucking watching them enough because I don't, I love Jim Cornette, but I don't agree with them on some people and the bucks can add great psychology and they can add a lot more dynamic along with fast paced moves uh, much more akin to Lucha Libre or WCW when they had the cruiserweight division where they would do fucking crazy shit, but it always looks still like a fight. It didn't look choreographed and it gets like that and burying certain finishers bothers the fuck out of me as well. Uh, Brandon Cutler tried to be a smart ass about it and he got a lot of shit from both wrestlers and people for repeating that, you know, the seven on seven match that turned into six on six. Because apparently Wardlow, you know, I I didn't research to see if it was true or not, but he had a, a family issue. So Brandon Cutler was actually taken out of that match, um, but uh, it was un, it was undisputed error, not undisputed error. See, at least I caught myself. Um, it was uh, God damn it, what the hell is the name of that of their group? The Inner Circle versus those three tag teams, and it was supposed to be Brandon Cutler. It was supposed to be his first televised appearance, but uh, he said that they were going to do basically everything that Jr. said, you know get around like quails uh, and side by side, you know, all that shit. But I'm, I'm rambling about this. I have to agree with JR. I'm glad that a lot of uh, news pundits and other wrestlers are chiming in and saying the same fucking thing. And I kind of hope this is something that not just AW, everyone tightens up on, uh, especially the dive spots, like the fucking suicidas. A lot of times they're not worth it. Didn't La Parca pass away because of something that, was related to a fucking suicide dive. Like, I don't know. You can tone it down and use it at, at pay-per-views where it's necessary. But as far as a bunch of guys together, one person goes on the top rope or something, I'm just done with it. I fucking uh, – the, the, when they did the Canadian Destroyer on top of a bunch of people, that was when I was like, I put my foot down. So, uh, yeah. What do, what do you think, Chris? I, as a wrestling fan, agree with Jim Ross. I feel like he talked to Jim Cornette before this podcast, like maybe they hadn't talked in a while. <laughs> and then he just had all this built up energy <laughs> and then went into this podcast because he went way harder than I thought he was going to go. But I mean, if you've been watching wrestling as long as you and I have, uh, it's definitely changed. And not to be like the old guy who yells at clouds, but there are things about it I hate. And, and WWE is responsible for a lot of this. Like the uh, everyone crowd together, we'll hit a suicide dive, we'll go to commercial. So some of that is just ingrained on how you film TV. I don't necessarily know that it's it has to be part of the match, but if, if you grew up watching this stuff, if you're one of these young wrestlers, you know WWE's been doing that for the past ten years. It's just one of the things that they do. It's like uh, you hit the spot, go to the commercial, which AEW at least does a good job of like they'll hit the spot, give it a little bit of time and then go to commercial or whatever. But uh, some of it is just blocking. Uh, if you're an actor, you know what blocking is. It does seem like that's one spot in the match that always stands out. There's like six people. You're like, oh, they're all getting caught with a suicide dive. 
it, that's where it would be great with someone like Sabu, where he just like throws three chairs or something in the middle of six people to change it up. But yeah, I, I, I have to agree with him. I mean, there's, you know, it's the same thing in NXT. So I'm not just going to completely shit on AEW. I, I think it's all across. No, the, no. Let me let me let me interject real quick because I don't want to forget about it now that I remembered it and it has to do with this. Leon Ruff on NXT did this and he fucking almost killed himself. He went off the top ropes and he was going to do a front flip into Johnny Gargano, uh, Kushida, and uh, Austin Theory, but he got he got too short and just did a fucking backflip on his back, and it looked terrible. It looked stupid. And it did not help his credibility at all. And that's a that's a fucking bad bump to do. So I just think it's unnecessary sometimes. But sorry, I just wanted to put that in there just in case I forget to mention it later on when we go over the match. No, I completely agree with you. Um, I mean, I guess that's what makes Okada one of the best, right? Is the fact he doesn't have to do this ridiculous shit to get himself over. Like, he is the guy that will yep. take a dragon suplex off the top rope. But how many times has he done that? Like, once? twice you know like there should be a difference in what you're trying to do the young bucks set the bar very high they're very good with their storytelling in the ring but they're also like if you were like chris you which is a better tag team the motor city machine guns or the young bucks i'm still going to say that motor city machine guns like for their career and what they're able to do with their storytelling in the ring it is more believable but wrestling has also changed and not to sound like a crotchety old fuck, but like not necessarily for the better. Um, I think it's more athletic. If you're really into watching guys do crazy ass shit, it's probably the most exciting time to watch wrestling. But at the end of the day, it's supposed to be good versus bad. It's supposed to be a fight, which is one thing I love about John Moxley, like a John Moxley match, you know, is going to be a fight. Even if he's going against someone like a Kenny Omega that can do all that crazy shit, it's going to be a fight. Or like a, you know, a Suzuki or any of these guys that get in there with these, let's say, really, really great athletes. That's, I mean, that's part of it. Like, you know, think about what you would do in an actual fight. <laughs> Try to make it real, you know, like in the wrestling world. And that should be your, you know, that should be what it is. I get that it needs to be bigger and better. And the fact that there's like six wrestling companies at the same time and everyone's doing this, everyone has to go all out all the time. But I think from a storytelling, uh, storytelling standpoint, simple is usually better, especially if you're trying to build up a big fight. Like, could you imagine if like, let's say we go into Rocky four and he hits drag off with a fucking hurricane Rana and then does like a tope suicina or something like no, oh. <laughs> it, it makes me tired because, like, certain wrestlers, like you mentioned, one of them, um, they can pull it off as part of their attra- or, you know, their their style. But not everyone can perform that quickly and that good and make it look that fluid. Like I'll give credit to Nick Jackson as one of them, Ray Phoenix, Kenny Omega, Kota Ibushi. Um, they can do fucking shit like that. And usually, most of the time, make it look still like it's a fight. Certain other guys, especially at a at a at a lower level, um, you know, I hate using the term indies, but like more from the indies. Uh, and I, I I don't like sometimes like the negative 
concept of PWG because I think that they allow people to be more free about their wrestling because I've seen some amazing matches that were PWG matches, but similar to that format where it's like, just do everything. And it's, it's definitely the influence of Lucha Libre. It's definitely the influence of strong style and a little bit of comedy sometimes thrown in here and there for like some of this craziness. But I just feel wrestling has evolved and it has gotten more agile. It's definitely gotten more, um, acrobatics. It's definitely gotten more high flying. But if you look at it, you know, you saw like in the eighties, you saw people like Ricky Morton, Steamboat doing stuff like that. Then you go to the new generation, WWF, you have Shawn Michaels, Owen Hart and Brett kind of bringing it up the level, but still making it and maintaining it to look like a fight. When you go to WCW Nitro and you have the cruiserweight division, uh, Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio, you know, whoever was a part of those matches, most of the time, uh, still made it look like a fucking fight. Um, shit, if you watch L.A. Parks matches, still he's he's still doing that, and he's doing the crazy high flying at his age and size. And then you go to the X division, and it was like they took it up a notch, or maybe like the Ring of Honor, you know, that that same era of all these great fucking aerobatic wrestlers coming out that could just do this crazy stuff, but they still made it look like a fight. The best example of that is Daniel Bryan, bar none. I don't think that there's anyone that kind of represents the concept of not doing too much but still doing a lot at the same time. Or maybe even AJ, who's much more, I think, approached as the high flyer, if you will, than the submission technical guy. But those two, I don't know. There's not a lot of wrestlers that can pull that off nowadays seems like everyone's doing it, and I can't stand all the jumping to the outside spots, especially not used and utilized for major pay-per-views or something like that, for being a quote-unquote big spot. And I don't like people just destroying pile drivers and fucking super kicks especially and DDTs. So people might get mad at JR. If, instead of getting mad, go fucking talk to them and get better. That's all I have to say. Because a lot of your peers disagree with you, that work with you. They look at yeah. you and they say, you're silly. Yeah, it's not like the JR has a very different opinion than Arn Anderson or <laughs> Tully Blanchard. He doesn't. Or some of the other people that work in the back there. I mean, they're Even trying Jerry to. Even Jerry Lynn. I'm sure Jerry's like, oh, God, guys. I mean, I was a high flyer, but what the fuck are you doing? Like, yeah, I mean, but see, that's the. See, that's the caveat is in and this is why I say I don't want to sound like a grumpy ass old man, but wrestling has changed and it's changed a lot. And what people look for in a match has changed a lot. But it doesn't have to like you can have a really good match with all, all this shit. It's more about the build to it. And I think, a, a, you know, like a really good example was the uh, Drew McIntyre Randy Orton match. Right. They did dick all. Like as far as high flying goes, or you can go back and look at like something like uh, what is it, Roman versus Jay Uso? Like Uso flies around the ring, but he's not, you know, hitting 17 dives and uh, what, what the hell did uh, Pentagon hit on Kenny Omega that as uh, the sun uh, sunset flipped or the Canadian Destroyer off the top rope to the ramp? A Panama Sunrise <laughs> to the ramp and then give him a package pile driver on the ramp him in the ring game another one yeah even bearing your own moves and i love pentagon and i love kenny but that's a good point as well but yeah it's just it's just kind of weird um i don't know i i you know that's what's great about someone like okada who's protected their finisher 
and doesn't do all this shit. I think that's the thing that stands out. Like, or or someone like you know Kyle O'Reilly hits high spots, but like he's not constant high spot guy. He could be. That's I mean he's fucking great, right? Like Roderick Strong's another guy. Like there's guys you can look at, like Daniel Bryan, like you said. Kazarian. Frankie Kazarian's fucking phenomenal. As we said, one of the most underrated wrestlers in the business. Um, there's, you know, there's lots of that out there. And it's crazy because you watch like the Motor City Machine Guns versus, versus the North. You hear that and you think there's going to be a bazillion spots. But if you watch that match in comparison to like a Young Bucks match or um, a Street Profits, if you're a WWE fan, it's not as much as you would think. <laughs> yep. Um, so I, I don't know. It's a difference of opinion. I think it's the older guard, but I, what I would say to people in AEW is you could dial it back a little. You could listen to JR because he is the one that, you know, hired the rock stone cold, Steve Austin and that entire roster that made like, you know, $12 million a year. <laughs> so like if you want to make money you could potentially listen to that guy um i i love i you know i love that and i love a lot of this shit too so i'm not trying to bury it like i love when there's like a really good spot fest and it's just move after move after move it's great it's fun to watch but it doesn't mean as much when me and you talk about best matches it's never like well they did a bunch of shit and that was cool. It's always like, well, what did it mean? Right. So like when we talked about Dustin versus Cody, for instance, you have like, you know, one big dive from Cody and it was basically just a brawl with a good story going into it. And sometimes that means more. And and, and like I said, I think it's just old head versus new head kind of thing. OG versus new G's. Well, I don't mind being an original gangster motherfucker, but um, yeah. Uh, anyways, let's move on. We got a little bit more stuff. Uh, we're going to go over Monday. So raw, don't remember what the fuck happened on it. So sorry about that guys. We already covered. We're not really going into raw unless there's a big highlight. And I'm looking forward to some of the stuff happening this weekend at the pay-per-view, but we'll go over that when we go over the pay-per-view, mostly the drew McIntyre match, uh, itself. But Unfortunately, and off the heels of two-year anniversary of the Raw, um, in which basically Vince, Stephanie, Triple H, and Shane McMahon came out two years ago uh, to this last Raw um, and said, after getting a 2.5 million rating, that they were going to change things up. There was going to be a shakeup. They were going to start doing things differently. You're going to see different feuds and different ways of writing, and nothing fucking happened. And now this week was actually 1.527 million, their lowest of all time on the USA Network. Now, SmackDown's still doing great. I think the two hours helps it. If for some reason, it seems like it's getting a better treatment on the writing. But this is not fucking good for Raw and just proves the reason kind of why we're not really covering this that much anymore. And it sucks because they have AJ Styles. They have a version of Matt Riddle that is Spicoli but dumber, uh, but I still love Matt Riddle. They have Keith Lee. They have Orton. They have The Fiend. They have, you know, McIntyre. They have certain elements, certain people that I like. Charlotte probably is coming back. Asuka. Um, but I just – the show is so fucking just all over the place. 
I, I, I just don't care. And some of the decisions they do, it just gets dumber and dumber every week. But, um, Chris, what do you think about this, uh, this number? Not surprised. I mean, it's really hard to carry a show for three hours. That's like if you asked me to watch, you know, Lord of the Rings every week, <laughs> but then the storyline didn't make any sense. <laughs> like, there's going to be a cool fight scene if you make it all the way to the end. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, there's some good stuff on Raw. I'm not going to completely bury it. The Lana stuff is terrible. They killed Raw Underground. Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton's interesting. I don't think anyone cares about the Fiend because they've always seen they've already seen Randy Orton versus the Fiend. Um, so I'm not surprised. I, I think the crazy part is the combined ratings of your Wednesday shows showing you that your audience is different. This goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's like wrestling has changed. You can't just say this is what we do now and this is WWE. Um, I think the only reason SmackDown is doing as well as it is, is because of Roman Reigns. So he should get massive credit for that. Uh, that whole character, that turn is one of the best things in wrestling. But yeah, I don't know. WWE as, as a product right now, and I think SmackDown has been good. They really need something to give them some life, like one guy. I don't know. I don't know that guy. It's just crazy, man. It's gotten so abysmal. And I mean, I still watch it, but I almost fall asleep every single time to watching it. It puts me to sleep earlier than I probably would if I was watching something I wanted to watch. So that's uh, that's good. I'm investing my Monday nights for stuff like that. (laughs) And that's the thing is like, I'll watch the first hour and a half record it fall asleep and watch the next the rest like the next day unless there's just something so terrible that i'm like dane i have to talk to you about this right now which is not how you should watch any tv show (laughs) you know what i mean like could you imagine we're not a a fan of hate watching it just happens (laughs) it's just you know we do it because we have to talk about it but like raw has not been very good the alexa bliss nikki cross the 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 fiend stuff um, the only caveat to this is like when we talk about the pay-per-view, there's one exciting thing that you could build an interesting feud out of, which would be Oscar and Charlotte and not, you know, Charlotte and Shayna or Oscar and Shayna, which I think would be their fucking top storyline. <laughs> Honestly, if I look at that roster and where they're at and there's nothing against AJ Styles, but he's, he's an afterthought. Like the show is booked around yeah. Bray and Randy Orton right now. It's not even booked around their title. Uh, so frustrating, but, um, that's how it's going to be. But unfortunately that's the only news that we have of Monday. Let's, uh, let's go to Tuesday, uh, in which we have an announcement of, uh, one of the pay-per-views, the, or one of the pay-per-views, the main event for the next impact pay-per-view coming on January 16th, hard to kill. We have Kenny Omega, uh, who came to the aid of the good brothers, uh, basically on impact, Carl Anderson, had a match. He cheated uh, to win it. Uh, Rich Swan was not happy about this decision, thought that Kenny was putting bad influence on Carl, and Carl just knocked him, and they started fighting. Uh, enter uh, Doc Gallows, who's back from his uh, quote-unquote injury. Um, and then there was a huge brawl that happened. Motor City Machine Guns came in there to help Rick Swan, and Kenny Omega just obliterated Rich Swan with a, uh, a warning sign. 
cracked it open and and whatnot, and then they just kicked them down. So now we have a semblance of the Bullet Club of Kenny Omega with the Good Brothers, the AEW champion, and the uh, Impact Tag Champions going against Rich One, the Impact Champion, with the Motor City Machine Guns in a three-on-three tag match for the main event of Hard to Kill. This is a positive thing to talk about, and then I want to get some grievances over the decisions of the pairing of uh, Impact and uh, AEW as of recently. But um, looking forward to this match. I think this is awesome. Um, and more stuff to come. I, I just really think that we're going to get some interaction eventually with the Young Bucks. I don't know which tag team they'll probably have the most interaction. Both of these teams make sense. But I also think that Kenny is going to be taking that belt off of Rich Swan pretty soon in the future on Impact. Uh, what, what do you think about this main event uh, coming January 16th from Impact? I think the main event's going to be awesome with the guys involved. And I like that they're doing a match in between Kenny eventually taking the title off Rich, which is where I'm assuming they're going to go. Um, I like the idea of there being a pseudo bullet club and I love the Motor City Machine Gun. So everything about this is pretty cool. The only thing I would say is the follow up, the the follow up to their big rating from the previous week, right where Kenny Omega came out and announced his stuff. I expected there to be a lot more on the show in general, or at least a bigger build or some Twitter feuds or something. I haven't looked at their ratings, but I'm assuming that it is nowhere's near. <laughs> Nowhere's near what it was when you had the Kenny Omega uh, promo that was advertised on AEW and and talked about. So hopefully this match is really good, gets people back involved with Impact. Motor City Machine Guns are there versus the Good Brothers. That'll be fucking great. Rich Swan's awesome. I don't think I've ever seen him in Omega lock up. So that that in itself would be very entertaining. And and I do look forward to that feud. But uh, I don't know. If they're going to charge $50 for this pay-per-view, I'm probably not going to buy it, if I'm being completely honest. Just going to find your ways. Um, yeah, 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 I agree with you. And uh, I don't know. Um, I, I was pretty aggravated about the whole presentation of what they've done so far. Um, I kind of talked about this on the last episode. I would check out Kenny Omega puts over Rich Swan pretty big. Him and... and um, him and uh, Don Callis have been doing interviews with different sources, different outlets. They just did one with Chris Jericho, which is pretty much very much in character, uh, sometimes out of character, but mostly like Don Callis especially is very much in character, uh, keeping kayfabe for the storyline. And it's fun the way that they're presenting it. Kenny's coming off great as a heel, but he did put off uh, Rich Swan and saying that they should have, if they ever were to have a match, an incredible match. So kind of setting up more stuff. Uh, so look for that. Also, I wouldn't get offended if, if this is so stupid. I have to say, it's like Don Collis keeps on saying Kenny Omega is the greatest wrestler of all time. And I heard that people are getting aggravated guys. They're in fucking character. And what the hell do you expect the manager not to say about him? So anyways, uh, the thing with impact and a W I, I thought well, that they, can I, can I comment on that real quick? Cause sure. what I will say is Kenny Omega by, most standards had one of the greatest matches of all time with Okada. So you can make the argument that he is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, especially if you say currently wrestling, right? 
Am I crazy on this? Like, I was not that baffled by him saying he's one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. I mean, that's well, how his character is booked. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a heel manager thing, but, like, is exactly. anyone that insulted that, like, Kenny Omega would be considered one of the top guys? Besides Jim Cornette? <laughs> no, not many. Uh, you know, I think that he's presented himself as being pretty efficient wrestler. I mean, some people call his match with Kota Ibushi against the Bucks one of the greatest tag team matches of all time, for Christ's sakes. Or the one that they had with FTR with Adam Page. Or all of his matches with uh, Tanahashi or Okada, of course. G1 tournament. There is a reason. Shit, his match with Laredo Kid at Triple Mania was fucking amazing. For the, uh, the... So, I mean, I don't I don't know why, but people like to fucking bitch about stuff like that. It's like, regardless, Don Callis is a heel manager, like you just said. Yeah, I mean, like... He sucks? I mean, it's not like he said Shorty G is the greatest wrestler of all time. You know what I mean? Like... That's stupid. Or or Elias is the greatest wrestler of all time, or like uh you know uh, uh what Evil Uno is the greatest wrestler of all time. I mean he picked a guy that has the some of the best matches I've ever seen. Just got um, put in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. As a Hall of Famer, is the current AEW champion like saying like he is the greatest wrestler of all time is not that far fetched. It's not. Like, I don't know why. I mean, I get, like, if you don't like Kenny Omega, you don't like Kenny Omega. But, like, for people to get so in their, like, panties in a wad over that, it's just <laughs> absolutely baffling to me. One, because it's a heel manager and they're doing heel shit in general. <laughs> but, like, also, it's like, it's not it's not like they said, like, you know, the Brooklyn Brawler is the greatest wrestler of all time. <laughs> and even if Don Callis means it, he probably means it because he's watched Kenny since he was... 12 fucking become a great wrestler and maybe he does think that who i i I don't know what to tell people though because uh, i don't know but let me just say that when it comes to don Callis, i think he's brilliant i think he's a great manager i think he's a great promoter great announcer don't really remember him that much as a wrestler but i will say i don't think he did the best job with this whole entire thing um for the week that they went back to impact that kenny was announced that he was going to be on the show chris um, I would have redone the show that weekend if I had one pre-recorded from X amount of weeks beforehand. I would have made it the motor instead of having one of the guys from Most Machine Guns, uh, Chris Saban, go against Josh Alexander from the North. Just do a fucking impromptu tag match, like redo it. You can keep like the two main events because they were both actually had a bunch of stars, but try to really thick that thing out. Try to get some more appeal to it. And the thing that really pissed me off is that the same thing they said inside the bus with Josh Matthews and then Kenny was going to make another big announcement on AEW. Not not only did Don Callis stop him from making that announcement, but they literally fucking said the same exact shit. And I think that's the reason why people didn't tune into Impact. I mean, they got over, I think, a million with all their various platforms combined, or they were saying that are close to a million. So a lot, a huge amount of viewership to see your product for the first time. I thought Tony Khan's little infomercials on both shows were funny, but at the same time, he's kind of like just, just making impact in the channel. They're on look like fucking just peons, but I guess that's like, you know, the rivalry with him and callous now, but saying that they're, 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 they're the reasons why they're, I don't know. I thought there was a weird, 
way to do that. You did. You literally made the same exact speech. Kenny just fucking is about to make his announcement. You stop him. He does the good night thing, and then you guys are out of there. So it was just a helicopter fucking thing. And the next week, you didn't really double it up. You didn't really do anything. That was a live impact, and you didn't really spruce it up that much for people that would come back to it. So I thought they didn't do a good job with the viewership edition that they got. Am I crazy for thinking that? No, and that's kind of what I was getting at is if you, you know, you got this huge pop off Kenny Omega, the follow-up show should be something massive. Like, you know, you could have someone like the, if you want to do the Good Brothers with Kenny Omega, you should have had like Carl Anderson or someone call Kenny Omega out and be like, this is our house. You didn't want us in your house kind of thing. You wouldn't give us a contract. Even if it's like kayfabe, you could have done that. There's other big wrestlers you could have involved. Like, where the fuck is Moose during all this? He's just going to let Kenny Omega come shit in his yard kind of thing. I think that there should be more aggression from someone like an Eddie Edwards or this guy's just showing up. And I get that it's like pre-taped and part of this is not on impact because I'm sure that AEW pulled the trigger on this very quickly and it had to go very fast. So they didn't have time to get everyone together and do what they could do. And I think they've done a good job as far as, you know, so far, but like, I don't know. I probably would have just been like, yo, can like, Moxley and him go to a time limit draw and just really build this out <laughs> for like next month or something, you know, like if you're going to do this, I mean, from the AEW I'm still, side. I'm, I'm still hoping that the person that knocked Moxley out was Sammy Callahan. I think that would be a lot of fun if they go in that direction. Which if, if you're Impact, that should have been what you tried to do is get like – a Dean Ambrose response online announcing that he was going to be on impact to hunt down Kenny Omega. Cause I mean, he got fucked. He was, he wasn't even on AEW this week. Right. The so, last two. So he loses the title. The dude literally got put on a stretcher. So this is, this is just going to be me being annoyed by wrestling. He got put on a stretcher, carried out, comes out, kills Kenny Omega before the match. He's like, you need to hire some people from Philly if you really want to get this done. And then he gets hit with a microphone. He's gone for two weeks. They stole the title from him. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. Like, Steve Austin wouldn't do that shit. Steve Austin would be there in a neck brace driving his truck. <laughs> I don't know for shit. <laughs> Terry Funk would be there with a fucking eye patch. You know, like... <laughs> shit, look at Kevin Owens from last night, man. He fucking got destroyed and still got on a chair and told Roman Reigns to fucking come get him. Like, it's, it's, you know. it, it's so, you know, I, I think they missed a golden opportunity as far as impact goes. I feel like they missed an opportunity to make it bigger than what it was. I do look forward to that match. I look forward to the feud with Rich Swan and, and Kenny Omega because I think they will have a really great match, especially if I go back to like Rich Swan versus uh, Neville, for instance. Yeah. Like or, or him and Cedric Alexander, like in him in that cruiserweight tournament, like he's a phenomenal athlete. So him versus Kenny Omega as a match in general should be really fucking good. And I like that you're gonna get you know the the, the original Bullet Club and Motor City Machine Guns, like I said. But I, I I do agree with you. I think they failed. To me, you pop that huge of a rating for the first time in forever. 
on your show, the follow-up has to be hard. And AEW just did this with like, they did the sting thing and they're like, next week sting is going to talk. <laughs> so the tune in. <laughs> yeah. So like the tune in was way heavier. So I just, I, you know, I, it's, it's a little bit baffling to me, but it's, it's not been atrocious or anything. I like Kenny's promos. I like the tease. I just expected there to be more of an invasion or at least more of the people in impact to be like, who the fuck is this guy? Like Eddie Edwards, for instance, or someone that's yeah, the only one like moose. The, you know? the only person that did that was like Tommy dreamer when he came up to Scott Demore and Scott Demore's like, why are you complaining? People are watching, you know, we're, we're getting more people to watch our show. That's not a bad thing. So it was kind of funny because I thought Scott would bitch about this. Cause he's the authority figure and you know, Don's his partner, but it was actually like he, he was thinking about the, the money signs, but Tommy dreamer was the only one. And rich Swan were the only two guys that'd be like, who the fuck is this? And everyone else, I guess was cool with it. Yeah. I mean, I like, I love rich Swan. I think he'll have a great match, but I don't know that he's the guy for the storyline. No, I would have put the belt on. I mean, I think moose actually makes the most sense, but the thing is, he he had a match against Moose, obviously, and I said it. He had to win it because you don't want Moose to win the title just to lose to Kenny because it looks like it's going to be Kenny Omega getting that title because he's now calling himself the belt collector. So I would not be surprised if Nick Aldis is in his future as well, or at least trying to cross hairs with him. And, and I'll go back to my original statement from, a like, I guess it was two or three weeks ago when we originally talked about this. You shouldn't have taken the you shouldn't have took the belt off Eric Young if you wanted to do this storyline. Yeah. Because Eric Young could be the guy. Like he's a legitimate TNA Hall of Famer. He would yep. be the one guy to stand up who's been mistreated by WWE. Has came back to his home in Impact. You could turn him babyface in a second because he is beloved by the I, I, everyone I know that's like was a fan of Impact during its heyday. I don't know anyone that dislikes Eric Young. And he would be the no, one guy you could easily turn. And if you didn't want, if you wanted to keep on doing this thing with him and Joe During and keep him as a heel, fine. But then another person that comes to mind is Eddie Edwards, who is what three-time champion. He kind of is associated with Impact as a brand. Is super super fucking babyface. Would have great match with Kenny Omega. It's nothing against Swan. It just seems we said three of them. Moose. Uh, Eddie Edwards, uh, fucking Eric Young, and all of them are, are past champions. Well, I don't think Moose is a past champion, but you get what I'm saying. They're all pretty decently sized names. It's just going to be a really flashy match, and that's going to be awesome, and I like Rich Swan, but uh, I don't know. I would have just kept it on Eric Young or kept it on Eddie. Eddie just lost it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just, if you're like a diehard Impact fan and you've stuck with it this long, right? Is Rich Swan the guy you want in this storyline? Hit me at, at Chris R. Patton on Twitter and let me know. I love Rich Swan. I think he's <laughs> a great athlete. But, like, I don't know. You just brought back James Storm. You know, wouldn't you want, yeah. like, if you're trying to do this invasion angle, wouldn't you Another want one. the sting? Wouldn't you want the, like, company guy? The guy that towed the line? You know, like, like that, that's why I go back to, like, Eric Young. 
mean, he was there for from like 2003 into 2000 what whenever he signed with WWE was like 16 2016 2017 or something like wouldn't that be the guy I don't know I just it's it's, it's like NWA man because with NWA I feel like they have a lot of great wrestlers but who do I associate with NWA the most is the person who has a championship belt Nick Aldis so you'd want the Nick Aldis of that company. You'd want <laughs> Roman Reigns is the top champion WWE. Uh, that's over Drew and that's over Finn. He's the top champion. He to me is the universal champion. Like he's the top of the company. So and if you split it down, I would say Drew's probably one of the bigger guys within that, and Finn's one of the bigger guys in NXT. It's they're they're top guys within their companies. God, we are really burying Rich Swan. Well, I mean, it's not even that we're trying to bury Rich Swan. It's just Impact is where Impact is. He just got the championship. They haven't gave him a huge run. You know, he's sympathetic because he's coming back from an injury. If you look at their pay-per-views, it's like, but they it's like if Kenny won title. Exactly, and it's like if Kenny went against the champion of New Japan, would you want it on Naito, Okada, or even Ibushi, or would you want it on Evil? Okay. Does that make sense? <laughs> it's just, yeah, no, it, to- it totally makes sense. I mean, and, and once again, it's just for the story angle, you need, to me, you need that guy to, to, you know, like if you remember the W, which is terrible, but the WWE invasion angle, do you remember how hard Vince McMahon was trying to convince Steve Austin to be on his side? Right. And how yep. hard people wanted that. That's great. That's what you should have. You know, like Eric Young would have been perfect. James Storm. Um, I mean, Motor City Machine Guns being there makes a lot of sense. But uh, there's so many people that you could have pulled to to do this angle with Kenny Omega. I don't think they would have as good of a match as Kenny Omega and Rich Swan because I think that's going to be a fucking great match or a great couple matches potentially. But I don't know. I, when I associate Impact, I do think of people like Moose, who's been there forever. Um, you know, James Storm, like I said, who showed up for that one pay-per-view. And Eddie Edwards, who's been there for a long time. I think he's a bigger star. Even Sammy Callahan, to some extent, over Rich Swan. Yep. It's not, it's not, it's, I'm not trying to take anything away from Rich Swan because I think he's very talented. I think he's a great in-ring athlete. It's just what they did with the title to get him into this picture very quickly disregards the rest of their like they have this which is a specific AEW thing and then there's the rest of the show <laughs> if that makes sense I agree with you uh, but hey they should have a great match and I guess it really comes down to Kenny's taking that title so the bell collector will continue his reign it's just wonder it's 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 crazy because I'm assuming Kenny's going to have this huge build. He's going to be this big villain. I could see him having these three titles, possibly maybe beating Nick Aldis. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I'm just saying at least having those big three belts. But you need at some point, and I'm assuming for the AEW one, it would be Adam Page. When that he takes off that title inevitably, then he's got to start losing the other titles. So that's going to really fucking cripple him. Or if he loses one of those other titles before the AEW title, that's kind of like a lower. So I, I'm wondering how they're going to do this whole belt collector thing. Yeah, I mean, do you do Adam Page or do you just put it back on Moxley? You could put it back on Mox. 
I that definitely makes sense. It just seems more fitting storyline wise if after all this, Paige ends up fighting Kenny Omega as a heel and beats him for the title, and they put him over as a huge baby face. It seems like it would uh, help him with his whole journey, I guess. Well, right now, Adam Page is nerd status because he's hanging out with fucking dudes the from Dork Order. <laughs> yeah, the Dork Order, as you would call it. So, uh, I I don't know. Like, if I was gonna do it, I'd put on like you know, Murderhawk or moxley or something if you're gonna flip the titles i guess um which as far as i know moxley he, it's not announced but he has to drop that usa title in japan it's still not announced but i'm assuming that's why he lost the title when he did is that he's gonna have to go to japan and take a loss well the thing is he's supposed i'm assuming kenta might take that off because he's in the u.s he's on the u.s show before Wrestle Kingdom, because Tony Khan said he's not going to be defending at Wrestle Kingdom, so I'm assuming they're going to get that. They have to turn it around. I mean, I'm assuming. Like, how the fuck do you, unless Tony Khan's just bullshitting? You know, it's 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 a weird uh, it's a weird concept. Yeah, if they're not going to do that, what I would do is New Japan is like pick someone like a Naito or a Kota Ibushi or a Tanahashi and just have him legitimately call out Moxley like seven weeks straight and then just strip the title from him <laughs> for not showing well, up. Like that's how, that's how you would book that. <laughs> well, the thing is, I mean, I guess it makes the most sense and it makes it He's kind of doing this, but with Kenta, cause he won that, um, whatever the, the number one contendership and he's been calling out Moxley at these events. So I don't know. Yeah. I'd strip him of it. I, I, I don't know. I mean, if that happens though, that really does mean that there's still not a really big relationship within New Japan and AEW. But if he does show up at Wrestle Kingdom or they have some event where he defends it, I guess that's a good thing when it comes to that whole entire concept. Yeah, I, I still feel like he's going to show up at Wrestle Kingdom and have a match with Kenta. They're, maybe they're trying to do the Hardys WrestleMania thing where it's supposed to be a surprise. like a and, not surprise. Only, and not only that, you could even do where Kenta has the Bullet Club and he that they can cause a title and even be like a uh, a present from Kenny Omega, who now is a part of the Bullet Club again, if they wanted to kind of add as part of the, the storyline, if you will. So he gets fucked over from the Bullet Club and that has more animosity towards Kenny when he comes back. Something like that. I don't know. No, I agree with you. And you could even put Moxley out of action for a little bit. I mean depending on what you're going to do in AEW, you could have him get injured in Japan. He gets fucked over for the title, gets injured, and, you know, he's about to have a kid. <laughs> so, yeah, was, you know, you could, if you want to shelf him that long, I, I don't know how much, the, see, the weird thing about Moxley is I don't know how much he moves the ratings. I mean, I think that, you know, obviously the match with him and Kenny Omega moved the ratings, but I don't know that, like, if Moxley is on the show versus Moxley not being on the show, it doesn't seem like it makes that huge of a difference. Like if you, if you were like, Chris, you were going to watch SmackDown and there's no Roman Reigns, like that would probably <laughs> make a bigger difference <laughs> than like if Moxley is on AEW or not. They're just very different products. Yeah, no, I agree. Definitely agree. Hey, they used to be in shield together. Anyways, let's get into AEW. Um, 
We are on our, our our quest of the week. We are now on Wednesday, so we'll be going over the Wednesday night shows, uh, like both shows, uh, but let's get into this. So our first match, uh, which was set up the week prior, uh, with John Silver and Alex Reynolds begging Adam Page to be uh, at least in a tag team group while Evil Uno still tries to get him into the Dark Order, went against Matt Hardy and Private Party, Hardy Party, if you will. And this is really just kind of dialing into Matt Hardy turning into a heel. Um, towards the end of it, he would even steal the fucking win uh, by tagging himself in after the the you know private party did most of the blunt work, and he kind of had that throughout the whole match. Um, I'm liking that he's going back to like more of his uh 2.0 look, I guess if you could, if you will. So I always thought Matt was a good heel, um, and if they're not going to do the crazy Matt Hardy stuff that was pretty much, you know, dead for a while, at least uh, after his match with Sammy Guevara on the uh, Hardy compound. Sure. Try out this new version of it. Um, but just weird because towards the end of the match, um, Silver hulks up, but powers out of the hold. This uh, starts to come back. He lands some elbows to avoid a side effect attempt by Hardy. As he hits the ropes, however, Hardy brings him down to the mat the hard way. He leads to the middle rope, but takes too long. Coming off... Oh, wow, this is... I didn't mean to read this. In, okay, actually, this is the ending of the match. Sorry about that, guys! Ha-ha! <laughs> Live shit. Anyways, uh, the announcers point out Hardy is still down as we see Silver and Reynolds fire up on offense, and Paige joins them for some triple-team action. Hardy takes Silver as he's crawling under the bottom rope, and while standing to the floor... Hardy twists, or hits a twist of fate on Silver. Uh, Page is sent over the barricade when it comes to ringside uh, to enter the fun. Back in the ring, Reynolds is seated on the top rope. However, Private Party hits the gin and juice double. T- that looks so fucking cool, by the way. All it is is a hurricane runner into a cutter, but it just looks awesome. Uh, double team finisher. Hardy ends up tagging himself in to steal the pin and then celebrates with the two of them while they look kind of like, what the fuck? Um... And then Alex Marvez talks to the inner circle afterwards. Um, after Trio runs down the lineup for tonight's show, they're kicked to Alex Marvez, who's with the inner circle. Mar- Marvez brings up New York Times honoring. Oh, wait, wait. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go into that. Oh, Chris, what did you think? I'm all over the place right now. This is going to be fun. Uh, what did you think about this match and kind of the heel turn with Matt Hardy? There was a lot of shit that happened in this match. Um I guess the storyline is Matt Hardy is a heel now, and he's trying to turn private party is private party, right? Yep. I don't want to accidentally call them crime time or <laughs> what's the one that I called them one time. And I was like, Oh God, God damn it. Um, yeah, no. So private party, um, they look good. I don't know. They, some of their matches are really, really great. And some of them are just, awful like out of sync or something so i'm glad they're getting more work i thought this match was very good as far as in ring goes i don't know what you're doing with adam page i don't know if you have him lose the tag team title and then lose to kenny omega and then put him into a situation with the dark order which i'm assuming is going to lead to him and Brody lee somehow i don't know if i go that route but that's what they're doing so kind of is what it is um no, all the ring in ring stuff was fine. I just wasn't invested because I don't really care. 
if I, I mean, like, if I'm being honest, uh, you know, <laughs> I like that they did this with Kitty Omega. He's doing this cross brand thing. That's exciting. But, you know, Adam Page is now just a guy. Even going into that match, he's like, well, if I lose this match, all I have left is this whiskey. <laughs> So now he's a guy that all he has left is his whiskey. Instead of this big redemption storyline where he's like murdering everyone and, and trying to prove his point, he's hanging out with the Dark Order? <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Uh, so storyline-wise, I hated it. The match itself was was decent. It was a uh, spot fest. Pretty much. Yep. All right, well, next up, we, like I said beforehand, uh, Alex Marvez was backstage talking to the Inner Circle. Marvez brings up the New York Times honoring MJF for best performance of 2020 for late dinner, Debonair segment on AEW uh, Dynamite earlier this year. I got a note that I think this was bullshit and this was made up, like the award itself, because he didn't receive an award. They just talked about it as, as a big segment, but really they actually kind of, they, if you read the the article itself, what they said about it, they, it wasn't really that many that that much good. They didn't even mention Chris Jericho. They just basically said the MJF turned uh, you know uh, chick, chicken shit into chicken salad, basically. Like he was he was someone that was really awesome about this thing and shown a range outside of wrestling. But um, all right, whatever. If you want to turn into a storyline, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he actually did get that little glass thingy but anyways i like this because it's setting up something that i kind of figured would go on but anyways mjf talks about uh it being an honor but before he can continue late champion butts in and interrupts pointing out that he too was in late dinner debonair segment and that it was actually his idea and was the one who set it up uh, mjf then continues and talks about winning the dynamite diamond ring two years in a row and now this honor from the New York Times, he says he couldn't have done it without Jericho. Jericho says, I know. He goes on to talk about Jericho being the best friend and talks about how much he means to him. And Jericho does a half-hearted response to MJF, forcing a fake smile and subsequently compliment as Alex Marvez wraps up the statement and sends it back to commentary. Chris, what'd you think about this interview? And are they basically just doing the nation of domination thing with the rock and Farouk? Pretty much. You nailed it. I mean, we've been talking about it for a while. It is definitely the nation of domination breakup where they want to put MJF over. And also can, can I read this New York times piece? Yes. If you have it, please. <laughs> the, the, the award. Maxwell Jacob Friedman doing Me and My Shadow on All Elite Wrestling. Some weeks, the athleticism at this professional wrestling startup, startup, by the way, really, really insulting, is more exciting than anything happening in Vince McMahon's empire. And no one in the WWE has the this kid's combination of uh, this kid's combination of diction, intensity, or cheesiness either. Even when Friedman's lost his cool, he still has astonishing control. The character is part heel, part tool, 
and part good fellow wannabe, his mouth does more running than he does. For some reason, only the producers of the show can explain. A long segment in October between MJF and veteran Chris Jericho culminated in a version of Me and My Shadow, complete with dancing, women, and live singing. It was less than spectacular, though not for anything Friedman did. He wasn't embarrassed at all. He was smooth in a way that should worry Ric Flair. This kid makes you want to say woo. That's what they wrote? I'm going to highly disagree with them because you put anyone else in this segment with MJF and it's even worse than like Jericho. (laughs) Yeah, but that was not an award or a big compliment either. Let's just, uh, let's just also realize that. So the article is on best performances and there's some other stuff here. Like, uh, let's see, let me pick love. Like, um, Lovecraft episode seven of Lovecraft Country. So there is some stuff where they're actually talking about their favorite, the Queen's Gambit, Gambit for instance, uh, Moses Ingram, which was great. If you guys I'm haven't saying when you use a term like less than spectacular, you know that's not the the thing you exactly want to hear for. They said this was the best of wrestling last year. Essentially, is what me and you are getting at. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's that's the one. <laughs> I, I guess from an entertainment standpoint, but also like the the fact they just disregarded Jericho completely. He <laughs> was like it was less than spectacular though, not for anything that MJF did. <laughs> it's like you can't even have this thing without Jericho. <laughs> Jericho was actually more important than MJF in in this fucking New York Times. It's what you get for reading the New York Times. Yep. Well, anyways, let's go to the next match. Um, Cody Rhodes with Arn Anderson against Angelico with Jack Evans in this corner. Um, I actually thought this was a pretty damn good match. Um, I hate to say this about Jack Evans because I know he's been around for a long time, but I think in a way he's kind of holding back Angelico, although I can't stand his little dance strut on the way of the fucking ring. Technical wrestling, he is pretty damn good, and he was doing some awesome chain wrestling with Cody towards the beginning. Um, and uh, when we get to the ending of the match, we see Cody beginning to look frustrated as Angelico is now taken down, but quickly returns to his feet. As the action continues, we head to a, a mid-match picture-in-picture commercial break. We're back live, and we see the action still ongoing uh, inside the squared circle as the American Nightmare is pulling ahead and taking a dominant lead in the offensive driver's seat Cody gets close to finishing off the TH2 member with a disaster kick. However, he is reversed and locked in Angelico's submission finisher for a dangerous near uh, finish. Instead, Cody escapes and ends up finishing the Hyper 2 member with the Cody cutter. I love the way he's doing it, like, off the post now, I think, and getting a bunch of air. Looks cool every time. And I'm, I'm glad that the Cody cutter is becoming a finisher that he's using almost as much as the crossroads. I think that's good. He should be versatile like that. Uh, but Cody won. But after was more of the big thing. So, you know, it was announced that Cody and Brandy were expecting they were going to have a baby. So basically everything that was built up with that Shaq shit, I wouldn't expect happening anytime soon in the future. But congratulations on the two of them. That's awesome. But we had Taz come out. He was with his son, Hook, uh, Powerhouse Hobbs, uh, Brian Cage, and Ricky Starks. Uh, I kind of cut it in, in, into Cody for the whole entire, you know, expecting having a child and just uh, 
gave Cody shit. Um, he talked shit to Darby Allen, who was up in the the uh, the top of the arena again, looking down as if he was about to head down there to help out Cody. And before they could do anything, they made some threats. The icon Sting uh, came in, uh, had a baseball bat, and uh, basically pointed it, scared off all the heels, and that was it. And uh, didn't say anything. So that was kind of—I I don't know—I was—I was a bit underwhelmed by this. I know we're only at week three, but when you're advertising that we're going to have Sting speak, I believe that was the advertisement. And he just comes in and scares off people with a baseball bat. Why haven't we had, like, the first night, it would have been awesome to have Sting just start swinging on motherfuckers with that thing. And that's how they got out of the match, if it was like the old school. I mean, he doesn't have to take any bumps, and he's obviously not really hitting them with a baseball bat. But you can, like we've seen in the past, back in 97, 98, take on five guys if you got a fucking steel baseball bat. So it would have been cool if that was his first introduction, or if he did it here uh, also, five guys scared of one baseball bat, or six, counting Taz. No, seven, actually. Wait, wait, was it five? It was Taz, his son. Yeah, so five. That's right. I can't count, apparently. I don't know. I like the match, I think, and Helico has a bunch of uh, potential. I like the ending. I like this pairing with Darby Allen, Cody, and Sting. I think this is going to end up being a three-on-three match. And I have money. Actually, I'll make that – I'll make that – that 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 bet uh, next. What do you think about the match? What do you think about the aftermath with Sting? Were you underwhelmed or were you happy to see the Stinger out there causing some shenanigans in the snow? I'm always happy to see that Sting entrance in the snow. It's awesome. It makes me very happy inside. Uh, but yes, I was a little underwhelmed. And part of this is on AEW. If you're going to bring in Sting, don't give Chris Jericho a baseball bat. And also, he should have already utilized the baseball bat. Because like Brian Cage is like the real life saber tooth, right? <laughs> or Wolverine. Yeah. So like that he just looks seems like, like <laughs> he looks like Chris Benoit ate the ultimate warrior. <laughs> yes. It's him and powerhouse Hobbs look like if you hit them with a baseball bat, that would just piss them off, you know? <laughs> so I really need Sting next time he comes out. He's got to start swinging that fucking thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> For it to be believable. Because if you go back to the NWO, I mean, this dude did drop down from the ceiling and then start swinging it at like 20 people. And none of them were like the size of powerhouse Hobbs. I mean, I guess Hogan technically, but he was slimmed down then and, and Nash. But like, I don't know. It, it, it does seem a bit weird, so I agree with you on that. And uh, I, I thought the match was fine. Cody looked great here. I think Cody is pretty much out of it because he's going to be recording this The Big Show <laughs> show. <laughs> oh, he's done recording that. Okay, because that starts this week, right? With Snoop and him and... God, who else is on that? I can't remember. But uh, oh my God, you just reminded me about something. Did you hear that they pulled Snoop's merchandise from WWE two hours after they announced he was going to be the guest announcer on their uh, New Year's show, going head to head with NXT's New Year's show? Two hours. He had merch that apparently him and Undertaker have made, or something like that, and they took all of it out of there. 
Yeah, that's that weird ass wine that Stone Cold was talking about. Undertaker oh, wine. They also had the Snoop Dogg wine was like a WWE line. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and at first, I thought this was baffling. Have you ever seen the movie Bones with yes. Snoop Dogg? Okay. So Snoop Dogg is basically the Undertaker in that movie, even the way he dresses. So I was like, oh, it makes sense. I put that together in my head. I was like, oh, I could see how you could do that. That's not where they went. They just were like, what about Snoop Dogg and Taker Wine? That sounds good. <laughs> but in my mind, I was like, it's because he was in that Bones movie. <laughs> um, yeah, that's crazy. But like, whatever, Snoop got paid. Just because you don't sell the merchandise doesn't mean he didn't get paid for the licensing and stuff. Like, I'm sure Snoop Dogg gives zero fucks. He was on each. Just uh, so petty. <laughs> It is petty. He was on NHL 20 guest commentary. Like, he does everything. I just saw him in a sparkling water commercial for one of those soda streams. Like, Snoop doesn't care if you pull his merch. Like, he's just going to – if anything, doing that draws attention to Snoop Dogg, which draws attention to the other product when you start getting that petty. Yep. Um, what the hell was I going to say? Um, oh. So my, my, my bet, and I'm just putting this out there because sometimes this happens, sometimes it doesn't, but I am going to bet you that when they have, and I'm pretty sure they're building up towards a three-on-three, three, so Ricky Starks, Cage, and Hobbs against Sting, Cody, and Darby, probably where Sting gets a hot tag at the end and makes a couple hits, and then they pretty much end it with Death Drop and a Crossroads at the same time, Darby gets the fuck in, whatever. Just do whatever you can do. Sting has limited time. I will bet you if this match happens, especially if Cody might be going heel in the future, he's going to fucking come out as Surfer Sting and have, like, the, the American, like, fucking Surfer Sting. I, w I could see him doing some type of thing like that as a tribute to that uh, during that match. I I'm, I'm placing that right now. So when it happens, you motherfuckers can know that I'm the one who put this out there. First. Okay, Chris? Okay? <laughs> It'll never be as good as Mr. Anderson versus Eric Young doing the Sting and Muda match in Impact. That's so weird. <laughs> it's so great, but it's so weird. Um, yes, that would that would make sense. He comes out like... Especially if he's a heel and comes out as Blonde Surfer Sting. That could be great. Uh, what I expect from that match is... I, I could see you doing this tag match, like you're saying... All Sting has to do is, like, you get all three people in a corner. He has three Stinger splashes, two people raw out of the ring. He has a Scorpion Death Drop and then put someone in the Scorpion. Uh, the Scorpion Death Drop and he puts someone in the Scorpion uh, Death Lock and they tap, which I'm assuming is going to be Ricky Star Starks yep. <laughs> as far as taking the loss. But, yeah, I mean, just treat him like you treated Goldberg in WWE when Goldberg came back. Like, you know, well, minus that Undertaker match where he tried to kill the Undertaker. <laughs> but when he was wrestling other people where it's like, we're going to keep this to like two minutes of in-ring time for Goldberg. Like, do that with Sting. Sting doesn't have to take any bumps. Stinger splash, Stinger splash, Stinger splash. Hit my two moves. Game over. Right? <laughs> I'm I'm totally fine with that. Especially if he's good to go. But I don't think he has to be in that match. But that does seem where it's going especially because I don't know who you would throw in there. I guess you could do Dustin, Cody, and uh, why am I space Darby 
versus Taz's team, and then you could just have Sting and Taz face off as managers. But yeah, I, I, you know, hopefully Sting is good to go, and he just hit some stinger splashes and drop someone on their head, like we talked about, I, like like they yeah. did with Brett Brett Hart. Yep, exactly. And I mean, Brett, or after that, or during that time, Brett before that previously went through a stroke on top of all of his injuries that he had to retire because of. So, um, you know, you can, you can get sting to come in and do a couple spots and just call it a day, but, uh, let's, let's move on. Uh, first we had a backstage interview with, uh, the best man himself, Miro. Basically he is in another Versace shirt. Look like I loved him coming out at the end, looking like an absolute monster, destroying people, except for the fact that he was wearing some fucking peach shirt. Like, what the fuck is... Uh, whatever. I mean, he does kind of look like an Eastern European guy in the U.S. That's that's what a lot of them do wear, but, you know, he was a monster at one point. It's like if Hercules Hernandez <laughs> fucking came out in the 80s with, like, a... Uh, looking like a part of a hair metal band. That would have made a lot of fucking I, I, sense. I mean, Glammed I kind of like the idea... I kind of like the idea of him just wearing shit like that and destroying people. The problem is they haven't built him right. Like if he wants to come out with a Gucci Mickey Mouse short and just destroy people and talk about how how rich he is because he was in WWE, like that's a better gimmick than what they're doing yep. with him. So <laughs> completely agree with you. That that's a very good way of, of of doing it. But anyways, this whole thing was Orange Cassidy sucks. They're gonna have the wedding uh, soon. Um, so yeah. Uh, so it's next week's show. We're going to get the announcement of when the wedding is. I don't care about any of this, Chris. I really like, you know, that I was a Rusev fan. I was probably shilling them a little bit too much during the Rusev day. I don't care about Miro at all. I'm sorry. I want to give him a chance. I think once we get past this wedding, there's still stuff you can do with Rusev. As far as in the ring. That's the thing is, like, Rusev's never been a great promo. That's why they gave him a manager. I mean, the manager happened to be his wife, but there's a reason why they gave him a manager, right? You should hire Aiden English, I'm telling you. He's not doing shit. <laughs> like, it, like anyone surprised by the fact that Rusev can't cut a promo is baffling. It's like, yeah, but he's fun to watch on Twitch. And I was like, yeah, but, like, talking about a video game while you play it is very different than cutting a wrestling promo. Yeah. Well, speaking about cutting promos, we had Eddie Kingston coming out to address his enemies. And uh, this was a very interesting promo. It starts off uh, kind of aggressive. But uh, anyways, we're back at Daly's Place. Entered music for Eddie Kingston. Uh, the leader of Eddie Kingston family makes his way down to the squared circle with a microphone in his hand and a serious look on his face. Kingston warns cameramen and others standing around at ringside not to get uh, into the squared circle. He then begins to address his enemies as advertised. Uh, first, bringing up God, pointing to the sky and, and telling him, I'm still here, brother. Uh, he then goes on to talk about some former members of his family, such as the Lucha Brothers. When he does, uh, before he can say much, uh, all hell breaks loose as he is attacked by the murder hawk monster Lance Archer. This leads to several others coming out, such as Ray Phoenix and Pentagon, and the duo The Butcher and the Blade, accompanied by The Bunny. Uh, additionally, it runs the bastard Pac, who, you know, even it looked like Eddie Kingston was hinting got injured, but obviously that's not true, who was apparently not supposed to be here. 
but is according uh, to the commentary team. We have a big standoff, and then all hell breaks loose once again as everyone starts duking it out and brawling. In and outside the ring, we see Ray Phoenix hit some wicked dives from the ring to the floor. In the end, Eddie Kingston and his family, the Butcher, the Blade, and the Bunny, are sent running off while Pac, Lance Archer, stare uh, them down in the ring along with Ray Phoenix and Pentagon as the music hits uh, for the Lucha Brothers. And we see all of a sudden Archer go from looking at Eddie Kingston to looking down at Pac, not too happy with him. Uh, I like the segment. I don't know why Lance Archer's kind of a baby face, I guess, but why he's siding now with Pac and Pentagon Phoenix. Obviously, he's not a fan of Pac. Uh, they almost they look like they had like an altercation throughout the brawl or like a misunderstanding at first. Uh, but interesting what they're putting seeds in. I just don't know... <sighs> Uh, to me, Lance Archer and Pac are better as heels. Ray Phoenix and Pentagon are better as babyfaces. Uh, I, I, I don't even see trying to make Pac a babyface really working, but, hey, I could be wrong. He'll never be like a Neville white meat babyface ever again, but maybe this could work. I just it, – it's, it's, it's weird. The whole Lance Archer addition to all this feuding is strange. Do you agree with me, Chris? I do agree with you, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Pentagon's leg is legitimate, it, like like legitimately injured. Oh damn! So, uh, th- this is why you've not seen him do too much, like being a manager when he was out there with the towel during that Kenny Omega spot and a few other, like a couple weeks ago, if you remember that. So apparently he has a knee injury he's nursing, and maybe that is why they decided just to hot shot to where they're at now. Because I would have felt like adding Murderhawk in would have been down the line, honestly. Uh, but I also thought Murderhawk was the person that attacked Moxley, so who who the hell knows? Which, if if that was the original idea, they changed it. Um, but yeah, like I don't know, it's fine. It's a, this, to me, this is like a mid card thing. Eddie Kingston's still great on the mic. It would be really good if it, it let's say that uh, Kenny Omega does collect, start collecting these titles, and you get the uh, the Good Brothers uh, winning the tag titles in Impact. If if Moxley comes up with his own group and one of them's like Eddie Kingston or something, you know, like have that conversation because they're friends, I guess. <laughs> And like someone like Murderhawk, that would be fun. So there's stuff they can do out of this. I I just feel like maybe they had to pull the trigger early because of Pentagon's injury. I don't think they were going this route originally. Yeah, that's that that could be true. It's crazy because Pentagon still had a fucking tag match at Triple Mania last weekend. Um, but maybe that was pre-recorded. I don't even know. But I, yeah, I did hear that he was injured and he's going to be out for a minute with a leg injury. Um, so we had Dustin Rhodes, uh, he very fire promo told the nightmare family to fuck off, was not very happy with the whole seven concept for him. If anyone knows about, uh, WCW and what they decided or Vince Russo wanted to do with, uh, gold dust, uh, Dustin Rhodes coming to WCW to be this weird character seven who looked inside windows of children sleeping. Child, for any trivia people out there, was actually Cody Rhodes as a kid. 
uh, in that segment. But uh, that was a little fun throwback. But he basically told Evil Uno he's going to kick his ass and they're going to have a match. So pretty good stuff. Love Dustin. Do you think he's not utilized enough, Chris? Oh, it's so hard to say because it depends on how much wear and tear he wants on his body, right? At this point, Dustin's older. I think he's had some good matches. He's obviously there helping people out. I like the idea of him becoming seven. That's a creepy ass character. It's like, that's one of the Vince Russo ideas. I don't necessarily hate. The only problem is that (laughs) the follow up to it was him just cutting a shoot promo on WCW because Vince Russo, (laughs) but like him being like creepy and staring in windows and stuff and, and being seven. And the fact that you can bring up that he was actually staring at his brother's window you could do like a Cody versus Dustin feud. Like I, I get why he doesn't like the seven gimmick, but like, you know, it's, it's also one of the most searched things from WCW is this, the, the seven shoot promo on WCW, which is <laughs> so, awesome, which is great. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they will go down that route. Seven was very creepy. And I think a very, interesting wrestling character if you, if you i mean obviously I, I guess it just depends on the social climate if they're gonna pull the trigger on that because it is a very controversial i mean he is looking like he doesn't have to be rapey he could just be killy you know like or something but he is definitely looking in kids windows and stuff was a weird character but to be fair to vince russo i mean you gave him gold dust gold dust is also a very weird creepy character yeah yeah I, I can agree with that um but we'll have the two of them in a match do you think this will ultimately end up with dustin joining the dark order or is that not gonna happen i kind of hope so i actually kind of help hope that he does something like a seven where it's like a weird character uh, not necessarily the way WCW did it, but like he harkens back to some of the gold dust and weird stuff that he was doing, especially if he's not feuding with Cody and they're not tagging or something. It would give him something to do. And he's a great wrestler, as we've seen, uh, which, which everyone knows Dustin Rhodes is a great wrestler. I mean, like it was the Hollywood Blondes with him and Austin fucking phenomenal. Uh, but yeah, like the natural being a little creepy. I'm OK with that. That's more interesting than anything else in the rest of the Dark Order. Sorry, uh, Silver. I don't care about BTE. Sunny hungry. All right, let's go to our next match. We have the Inner Circle. Now, this is supposed to have all seven members. They said on commentary that Wardlow uh, had some family issues that he had to attend to, so he was out. Um, I'm just wondering, let me just ask you, conspiracy-wise, Chris, uh, and I haven't looked like I haven't heard Dave Metzler say that it, that that was definitely true or something they threw out there. Um, do you think after the comments from Brandon Cutler, they just used that as an excuse and fucking kicked out Cutler because of all the Jim Ross shit? So from what I what I read and heard, there was a big yelling uh, match from Tony Khan where he got into a bunch of the wrestlers' faces about them going after Jim Ross and kind of, let's say, exposing the business or exposing backstage drama. So so that's out there where there was an actual, like, have a sit-down talk, which is good for Tony Khan, but also, like, he should say the same shit to Jim Ross. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't disagree with what JR said necessarily, but don't bury them on commentary live. Yeah. Don't bury them on commentary live and also don't bury them in a podcast. <laughs> you yeah. know, like put over your own shit. If you want to there's tons of wrestling to bury. You know, you could point out like a bazillion matches with the same things that you hate on different products. Uh, so, like, I totally get it. But apparently, yeah, they had like a come to Jesus meeting. Uh, I could Tony even Khan see Jericho, Jericho being pissed off about that and not wanting Cutler to be a part of the match. Yeah. So I don't know if I'm uh, Cutler. I know you're friends with the the young bucks and your uh, their cameraman for BTE, but you just Lost your first opportunity on fucking television, potentially, basically. Yeah, maybe maybe don't piss off Jr., which will piss off Tully and Arn Anderson. Like, <laughs> don't piss off the OGs, I guess. Skinny um, white dudes dressing up like Kratos from fucking God of War. So that's uh, so so this is like the weird line for someone like Cody Rhodes to walk where he is friends and knows these people. Right. But then you have like Kenny Omega and the young bucks and, and like, I'm sure they're fine with JR and, and respect him and stuff, but they don't have the same affinity as someone like Cody Rhodes. Right. So it really does come down to this new school versus old school thing a lot of times. So I'm sure that was a weird ass meeting, but I did read <laughs> in observer that, and Brian Alvarez also posted it that, uh, there was on Wednesday, there was like a talking to, I guess, from this. So I'm assuming that's why color was pulled from the matchup. All right. Well, there you go. Um, anyways, I actually thought this match, even though it was six on six and it was spot fest, was actually a pretty fun fucking match. Uh, we had top flight, which, by the way, I hadn't seen a lot of them on dark. And I have been very impressed by their work and also their promos since they were 19 and 21. The promo they had last week, uh, the older brothers speaking mostly, uh, very impressed by these guys. Um, then they had the Varsity Blondes, which is Griff Garrison and Brian Pillman, little tribute to their dad with the uh, Hollywood Blondes uh, with Pillman and uh, Austin. But um, I liked uh, I liked a lot of the stuff that they did and the best friends against the inner circle. But um I was impressed with this match. I thought it was going to be just a fucking clusterfuck. End up being uh, a lot of fun to watch. And uh, basically at the end, uh, we have Trent and Chuck hitting some double team moves. Santana and Ortiz are now in as one of them are tagged. They hit some double uh, team spots. And now even more members of the other side of the ring enter the picture as all hell starts to break loose again. Garrison is a legal man. He hits the ropes. But Jericho whacks him with Floyd. Uh and the bat as he does and Hager tags the inside of the ring um, following up with the F10 he then responds to the demand of MJF on the ring apron who tags in simply to score the pinfall he had nothing to do with wait didn't they just do that that's literally what it says and I was thinking at the same time oh they did the same fucking spot with Matt Hardy that they did with MJF I just realized that anyways winner inner circle uh, what do you think about this match? Outside of the the ending, from what I remember, I actually liked a lot of the the craziness that was in this match. I, if I'm being completely honest, I glazed over it during this match. There was a lot of good stuff as far as people bouncing around and doing cool in ring shit. But can't remember I, anything. 
Yeah, I can't remember anything that stood out specifically other than what you already talked about storyline-wise. And now that you pointed out it was basically the same finish, I'm kind of like, eh, <laughs> you're not wrong. Um, Sammy Guevara needs to leave that group for me to care about this, or something has to happen with the inner circle for me to care about them. Very soon. Yeah. Yep. All right. I thought it was weird. I do remember. Didn't didn't Hager do the F10, which is uh, Wardlow's finisher? Do you think they're setting something up there? I think that's how he took someone out. Yes. From what I recall, yes, he did that, and that is uh, which. By the way, y'all y'all need to stop pissing off Brock Lesnar. <laughs> But <laughs> yes, <laughs> like I've seen Jake Hager in uh, uh, Ultimate Fighting Competitions, whatever Bellator. Uh, I don't think he's got Brock, so <laughs> stop nope. pissing that guy off. <laughs> and I think the person shit. that I first saw do the F10 before Wardlow was Brian Cage, and now he doesn't even do that. He does the drill claw. So I don't know. When, Seems a little bit Brian. When Brian Cage used to do it and Impact, it looked crazy. That guy's just – it's a brick shit house. That's the best way to put it. Um, I, Yeah, I don't know. Yes, I'm assuming they're setting up Wardlow versus Hager. But I, it, it, you need to have uh, – Sammy, I mean, Sammy Guevara is the guy that has to change first to me, and then you can split the group. Because they're not going to immediately go to Jericho versus MJF again, so I I'm excited for that match, like Hager versus Wardlow. I just hope they don't drag it out so long because I feel like Wardlow could be a real star for them if they use him right. Because I think he's great in ring. I actually like him better than Jack Swagger, former WWE Heavyweight Champion, and nothing against Jack Swagger or anything or uh, Jake Hager, which is really hard for me to say after calling <laughs> Jack Swagger for bazillion years. Um, I think Wardlow is, has more star potential and is a cool oh, yeah. new character. I think he's a little better in the ring as moveset wise. Um, so I, I yeah, I'm assuming that's where they're going to go eventually. I did love the a couple weeks ago. I don't know if we talked about it. The why are you always staring at me? <laughs> why? Dude, that was hilarious. <laughs> and I'm then they were like, you. you're, you're always staring at me. All right, all right, all right. How about we just not stare at each other? And then they just then, went right back to staring like two seconds later. Yeah, they like looked out into the crowd, but kept cross-eyeing each other while looking away. That was pretty good. I mean, I look forward to that. That should be a good match. Um, you just have to have the one domino fall, which all signs point to Sammy Guevara, right? Yep. Because you're not going to break up Pride and Powerful. No, I, I wouldn't think so. All right, so Britt Baker, or I should say, well, I just gave away it. Thunder Rosa was backstage uh, cutting a promo on Britt Baker when uh, Rebel, uh, Reba, uh, comes and distracts her. Britt Baker takes her out from behind. They pour water all over her face and take off all the makeup, basically. And then uh, Britt makes some comment about, oh, I'm surprised that the camera's not broken because of this ugly face. So... I, I, I am looking forward to the match with these two ladies. It's just crazy that this is not even a, one that has a title. It just seems like two of their stronger characters. And Britt's really fucking good heel. 
Uh, so I like this. What did you think, Chris? Like this segment a lot, and I'm glad they're trying to introduce some life in their their female division. Um, interesting choice, I guess, going to this as opposed to like, what is the title picture? <laughs> uh, Abaddon going against a Kuroshida, it looks like. Yeah, so doesn't this seem more important than the actual title match? I guess would yep. be the only caveat of me liking or disliking this. Yeah, I would have to agree with you, man. I don't know. And also, they should have Abaddon just kill these people. Uh, That's I mean, what if I you're gonna, see. If you're going to build her as a monster heel, like you, you know, you can let Britt Baker get over on Thunder Rosa or whoever she's attacking in the back, but Abaddon should show up and scare the shit out of all of them to build to your championship, which should be more important than this storyline that you're telling. <laughs> if you're going with that kind of character. Oh no, man, it's so fucking weird. Uh, all right. So you want to know what's else is weird is, uh, the acclaimed. No, I'm just kidding. I actually, uh, I was impressed by these guys. They had a match with SCU. Uh, you know, you can say what you want about, you know, doing the whole, I don't know if it's Bowens or if it's Caster, but one of them wraps the whole way to the ring, very old school John Cena style. Uh, and I mean, that's what they were alluding to last week when Matt Jackson kind of made fun of them. Uh, talking shit to Frank Kazarian and Christopher Daniels and also to the Young Bucks that were at ringside. And uh, no, uh, Kaz is not happy with this. So he takes the mic and uh, tries to do his best rapping. A little off rhythm, but I like the uh, the lyrics. Uh, comparing them to Men on a Mission. That was pretty fucking funny. And uh, they had a good match. And I think that Daniels and Kazarian made these guys look really good. I know they have a winning streak, but they are definitely an up-and-coming tag team that I think will be a lot of fun. I hate to say this, especially with Top Flight. I'm glad now Private Party's getting better, but these two tag teams who seem even greener than you kind of have shown me more potential than Private Party has. I hate to say that. I feel like a dick saying that, but especially when it comes to Top Flight, who's probably going to be compared for multiple reasons, you know, kind of having that Young Bucks, Hardy Brothers vibe to both of them. But um, I like the acclaim. I, I think that they are they have potential in the future, but uh, they won the match. Uh, regardless of, 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 of Kazarian's amazing rapping, Owens uh, recovered and hoists uh, Christopher Daniels to a torture rack position. Harvard Daniels slides out. Uh, Bowens ends up shoving Daniels into the ropes, and he is met by a shot to the face from a boombox radio by Caster. Bowens then rolls up Daniels to score the pinfall victory for the Acclaim's eighth consecutive victory with a big win over SoCal Uncensored. And afterwards, uh, you know, with the Acclaim challenge, the Young Bucks, and it uh, looks like we're going to be having that match soon. So uh, what, how do you feel about the Acclaimed, and how do you feel – about uh oh yeah also caster did uh he dropped an f-bomb um on oh no he almost did but they stopped him but it was pretty uh pretty way pretty uh (laughs) funny the way that they set that up so uh yeah they claimed uh, against the young bucks obviously the bucks will go over but good up and coming tag team how do they do against scu to you I thought they're. You know, I agree with you. I think they are a good up-and-coming tag team. They just have a lot of tag teams that are better than they are right now. Um, I like Top Flight 
better than the acclaimed. If I'm being completely honest, I think the biggest the biggest thing with um, Private Party is that they're very similar to the Street Profits, but the Street Profits are better all around, like promo gimmick everything. It does kind of come off like a a Kmart Street Profits. Which I'm sure, you know, they could have been doing this at the same time. I don't think it's like a direct copy or anything, but like WWE is the bigger brand and it does come off like that and their matches can get sloppy. Sometimes they're really good and sometimes they seem very out of sync. So I agree with you there. I thought this match was really good. I hate seeing SCU take another loss. And uh, Kazarian is amazing. Put the title on him. Put the strap on him. <laughs> just once. Just fucking once. Get that damn title on him. Get, put the heavyweight title on Kazarian. If, anybody, if anyone's ever deserved it. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Fuck, fuck Kenny going against Nick Aldis. Have Frankie go against Nick Aldis and become the NWA world champion. That would make have, me really happy. Have Frankie Kazarian show back on Impact or him him and Christopher Daniels and be like, the guys is like, yo, we're the OGs of Impact because they were there since like 2003 for forever. So there you go. When Christopher hey. Daniels was in his early 40s, for Christ's sake. I love Christopher Daniels so much. Friend of the show. Good dude. <laughs> he is a bit older, though. No one realizes that. He's like almost Chris Jericho's age. But that's because he looks great. All also right, a huge um, comic fan. Huge comic book fan. And I think he has a, uh, before Cameo, he had his own thing where you can talk to wrestlers. So check out uh, check out Christopher Daniels. If you guys want to talk about comics with him, he has a thing where you can call him and you know pay a little bit of money and he'll talk about whatever you want. Yep. All right. So uh, Top Flight, a uh, little interview with them. The, the new tad scenes of the game, Top Flight, are now standing backstage. Duo talks some trash. And they extend a challenge to Chris Jericho and MJF. They say the two can accept or they can run like little bitches. Um, so it looks like we're getting that match in the future. And uh, looking forward to that. I thought the boys, like I said, especially the older brother, held it down pretty good on the mic. What do you think about this, Chris? Same. I thought it was a good segment. Uh, decent promos all around. This was just a very average show of AEW as a follow-up for the last two big shows for me. I agree. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, this was fine. All right. We have Big Swole and Serena Deeb going against Ivelisse and Diamante. This kind of got set up uh, because of the fact that Ivelisse and Diamante were helping out Vicky Guerrero and Nyla Rose uh, put the hurting on um, Red Velvet. Uh, the week previous, and this is a good uh, women's tag match. I think Diamante and Ivelisse, they have experience. See, I know Ivelisse, obviously, from Lucha Underground. I know Diamante because she was in LAX along with, uh, well, the newer version of LAX, I should say, along with Conan, um, Ortiz, and Santana. But they're a pretty good tag team, uh, Deeb and uh, Big Swole. I think Big Swole is getting better. I've definitely thought that she was uh, a bit green, but maybe she's working with Deeb a bit. Uh, but Serena Deeb always looks great in the match. Don't remember too much from this, to be quite honest with you. But Swole looks for Dirty Dancing on Diamante. However, she avoids it. Diamante looks for the standing slice bread. However, Swole avoids it. She hits a headbutt and then a tiger driver. She locks her in the 
Clearwater uh, Cloverleaf submission and wrenches down on it. Deeb takes out Ivelisse as she tries to break it up, leaving Diamante no choice but to tap out. The winners, Big Swole and Serena Deeb after the match. Um, we see Deeb and Swole celebrating when out comes Nyla Rose and Vicky Guerrero for the post-match attack. The two start attacking Deeb and Swole from behind. They take it to the baby faces uh, before ultimately Red Velvet runs out with a steel chair to chase them off. Steel chairs, man. Those those things are equalizers. <laughs> what did you think about this? All right, I'm going to go ahead and start this. You can hit me at, at Chris R. Patton on Twitter. <laughs> um, big Swole. I'm done with the experiment. She is not top-level star. She needs way more seasoning. Her entering work is very, very sloppy, especially in comparison to the other three women that were in this match. Uh, so if Serena Deeves is helping her out, then great. But the first thing Hoping I think about you. with... The, the first thing I think about when I think of her is the Britt Baker-Dennis match, which is not great. I mean, there's it not... It didn't any... put a good taste in your mouth? <laughs> yes. Yes, so it's a, it's a weird one. Um, I thought this match was pretty decent overall. Like I said, uh, I, I'm just... I don't know. Like... Are they trying to get behind Big Swole? Is that going to be their like next big push? Because it seems like they push the gas and then they stop, and then they push the gas and then they stop. You know, when it comes down to it, the two most popular characters are don't have the title. One that has a lot of potential has the title from another company with Serena Deeb. Um, they should just hire Tessa Blanchard, you know? Oh, Talking about this, by the way, they released the new action figures for AEW this week, so if you're a figure collector... Uh, Rio is one of them. Cool. Where's Which, Rio? <laughs> that's what I was going to get at. It's like, where's Rio? <laughs> she lost the title. We didn't get a rematch. I thought they did a good job of building her. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it, that women's division is like, the only people you care about is Britt Baker and the NWA <laughs> division, honestly. Um, yeah, I don't know how they fix that. That's going to be hard. I probably wow. would have had Nyla win the title at that last pay-per-view and had her be a top heel and maybe not have her with Vicky Guerrero, but fantasy booking, am I right? Yeah. All right, let me get through these uh, next two segments so we can get to the main event. Best friends, Orange Cassidy with the message for Miro. Basically saying to him that, oh, you guys are going to make an announcement about the wedding next week. We'll be there. So that's good. And then FTR came out, and they were pissed off about uh, Luchasaurus, Jungle Boy, and Marco Stunt. This is all setting up a match between the two of them. And some good uh, back and forth on Twitter with Dax Harwood saying that Jim Cor or tagging Marco Stunt, who uh, was talking shit to Dax, and said that Jim Cornette's right. You are an absolute disgrace to the wrestling profession. So... Got a lot of marks stirred up. Um, pretty sure that was the point of it, though. So there you go. Uh, Tully and, and them are, are, are going to fuck them up, and they're they're gonna they're they're gonna do some shit. That's what I got from this. They could be doing a lot more at FTR, but whatever. What do I know? Yeah, but they're gonna draw out the feud with uh, them and the Young Bucks for a while, right? That's probably like a year long thing. 
So I, I yeah. didn't have a huge problem with this. I thought it was okay. Um, I was looking up Angelico and Jake, uh, Jake Evans because I, I forgot to talk about this. Do you realize that they had a PWG match against uh, the Inner City Machine Guns, which was Rich Swan and Ricochet? What? Yes, 2015. The Inner City Machine Guns. The Inner City Machine Guns. That's that's the thing that stood out. I was like, well, now I got to go watch that. <laughs> Me too. Now I have to go watch that. <laughs> so out there, if you guys have also not seen this, PWG Battle of Los Angeles 2015. Um, now I want the Motor City versus the Inner City. We're not going to get it. It's like the it could be like the, the 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 modern equivalent to the Rock and Roll Express versus the Midnight Express. You know, fuck. But I forgot to talk about this earlier. But the the big thing about their tag team is Angelico should be making the hot tags and doing you know the, the big majority spots, of it, the majority of it, and and just have Jack Evans selling. Honestly, and it's opposite. So it just always their matches always kind of feel weird to me. Yep. All right. Well, let's get to the main event. We had Joey Janela against Kenny Omega in what would be Jim Cornette's favorite match of all time. Uh, assumingly, that's what I'm assuming. But no DQ. Anything goes. Uh, non-title, but for number one contender position, uh, Janela going against Omega. And I liked the dynamic of Tony Schiavone is a badass. Let me just put it that way. Because Don Callis uh, goes over and is trying to kick Tony off of commentary. And Tony says, kiss my ass, like several times to him and won't fucking move. So Don Callis grabs a microphone and literally starts commentary on the match from a live mic. uh, And then gives one to Kenny while he's kicking the shit out of Joey. So this was basically just for them to destroy um, Joey Janela throughout the course of this match. And then, of course, Kenny gets him one-wing angel, one, two, three, and is celebrating like he just won the Olympic fucking gold medal. And uh, Bastard Pack comes out with the Lucha Bros. And, uh, you know, says that him and him and Omega definitely have unfinished business, but he wants to talk about his tag team part or one of his uh, – uh, stable partners, Ray Phoenix, and the fact that Ray Phoenix was supposed to go against him, uh, Kenny Omega, and he never did in that tournament because things got changed around. Um, so you know he wants to ha- he he thinks that Ray should have a match with Kenny, and uh, Don Callis is like whoa 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 wrestlers don't uh, you know tell the champion what to do, and Pac says that's funny because I talked to Tony Khan. And actually, Kenny will be going against Ray Phoenix at the um, the New Year's Eve show. So we're going to be having Omega versus Phoenix, which should be awesome. If you guys didn't get a chance to watch their match in which Kenny uh, won the uh, AAA Mega Championship from Phoenix, uh, look it up. They have great chemistry. Both of them are phenomenal with finesse and, and acrobatics, obviously. So this should be a really fun match. But I liked I liked everything about this actually. I, I thought that the opponent that Kenny chose, it's kinda like how uh Sammy Sammy um uh what the hell, why can't I think of his name? Because there's like fifty of them. Callahan, Guevara, uh your favorite one, Sammy Help me out, the Intercontinental Champion. Zane. There El you Gen- go, El Zane. Generico. El Generico. He just did this with the IC belt, picking you know, lesser opponents or trying to avoid it, uh, 
So Kenny kind of like did that with Joey, like Don Callis and all the shit that he was talking. Just the the pop and circumstance. Um, good stuff all around, I think. And uh, I'm looking forward to him in Phoenix, and I'm looking forward to them. Uh, redoing the Pac and Kenny Omega stuff in the future. I think that will be a good feud for Kenny Omega down the line. So uh, what did you think about all this to close out the show, Chris? Oh, wow. Um, it was a good call out about Kenny Omega. I think it makes Joey Janela look very bad, who I thought has been pretty good in the ring. I watched a match with him on Dark with Sonny Kiss in a tag team. They did this very cool like backbend Sonny Kiss has uh, this dude in a backbend crossface, and he does the drive-by, you know, the move Roman Reigns does. Um, I don't know, man. Joey Janela puts on pretty good matches in AEW. Like, I know Jim Cornette hates him because he's a garbage trash can person that falls off roofs or whatever. <laughs> but the guy's not a bad wrestler. kind of wish they would do more with him because I think the fans were behind him during the Moxley uh Janela promos if you go back to the beginning of AEW and uh, they just had him lose a lot so uh, outside of that I mean Kenny, I mean Kenny Omega getting the win here just immediately makes sense right I thought this was a pretty fun match yeah uh, are you looking forward to him in Phoenix going at it for the title at New Year's I am. I don't wish they would have went back to it so soon because they like Phoenix basically, you know, they had the tournament and Phoenix got kicked out of the tournament and he had the match with Pentagon and they're already in another feud with a different team. So it kind of just sets up that Phoenix is going to lose. Oh, and yeah. Also, uh, Phoenix is I, I love Ray Phoenix. I think he's fucking phenomenal. But. Uh, there's still something like he's not Pentagon. Like if you want to see one of those guys, it's like Marty Jannetty, right? Like Marty Jannetty was a really great wrestler, but he's not Pentagon to me. <laughs> Pentagon is the guy I would rather see in that match again. Yep. I think that my comparison a while back, uh, Ray Phoenix might be more agile. He might be more acrobatic, but when it comes to a whole package, it's like Brett versus Owen. Almost. Uh, one just has a little more star power, and Pentagon has more charisma than Brett ever had. Uh, so, yeah. So. Another good comparison would be like the Steiners. Like, Rick Steiner is a way better wrestler. So, that would be like the Ray Phoenix, but like Scott Steiner's the guy, right? <laughs> and this is Pentagon, which Ray Phoenix and, and Pentagon, I will say, I don't want to say they're better wrestlers than the Steiners, just very different, but really really fucking good like top talent probably in my top 10 honestly of best wrestlers in the world when they actually uh care that's the other thing with the the lucha brothers and and yeah (laughs) it seems like they just sometimes don't give a shit they're like we're gonna go do our match they're like there's rules and they're like no we're gonna go do our match so (laughs) oh wow all right, well, are you ready to go over to NXT? We have so much to cover still. NXT was a better show than AEW, just putting it out there. This week, AEW, I think it was. It was a very average-ass AEW show. There was some good stuff on it, um, but nothing crazy. So, yes, I'm ready for the NXT. 
All right, so we start off immediately with Leon Ruff and Kushida going against Austin Theory and Johnny Gargano, who I think are going to get a cease and desist for This Is The Way being their new uh, catchphrase uh, from Disney, um, I'm assuming. I know that they had the Gargano way, but this is like really on the nose now. It's even in their Titantron, but who knows? Maybe I could be wrong about that. Either way, Leon Ruff, Kushida, Austin Theory, Johnny Gargano. This reminds me, we were just talking about on AEW, one is not like the others with that woman's match. Uh, not saying Leon Ruff is, he's a good wrestler. And we, we said a lot about Big Swole, but he's in there with Kushida, Austin Theory, and fucking Johnny Gargano, who are just balls to the walls. And I'm sorry, the thing I remember the most in this match, besides Austin Theory's, I think his new badass finisher, that I really couldn't explain. It was like an underhook, like set up like a like a pedigree, but he twisted around and slammed him on their back. Really fucking cool. But it was that Leon Ruff fuck up where he jumped on the. Uh, he went to go do a uh, front flip onto everyone and just fell right on his fucking back, coming up way too short and just lucky knocked the breath out of him. So ugh, there is that. Maybe we should throw him more so in the cruiserweight department and kick up Kushida and keep him in the North American title picture. Um, I don't know. Am I, am I wrong for thinking this? Uh, the winners were, uh, by the way, because I didn't mention that, was The Way. Um, and afterwards, they hit their new music and stand tall as, as all four members. Beautiful stuff. Outside of the spots that you talked about, I thought this was a very good match, obviously, with three talented, like, I would say four, because I I do think Leon Ruff is good. I I don't know if he's a little nervous or what's happening with him. I mean, he was just thrusted into a title picture out of nowhere with Johnny Gargano, who's the biggest, one of the biggest stars of NXT. So I'm going to cut him a little bit of slack, but... Uh, the match was very, very good. That spot you're talking about where he went off and just no one got to him <laughs> was tragic. Luckily, he landed on his black back and not his neck, like you said, because that could have been way worse than what it was. Um, Austin Theory, as we've talked about, outside of the allegations, I already think that he would have been a star. Like, I, I felt like he was ready-made, so he was really good here. And uh, the only thing I would say about this is this is the first time Kushida lost in, like, three months. So I don't know that I would have necessarily put Kushida in this match. And also, Kushida should be in your heavyweight title picture if you're going to give him, like, an undefeated streak. Which, they won't count this as, like, him taking a loss, but he lost. He lost in a tag match, so it counts like you lost. But before that, he had, like, I don't think he's lost since uh, he snapped and became the, I can't remember exactly what he said, but became the the true Kushida. Um, Super Saiyan 2, Kushida. All right, well, uh, let's. (laughs) Super Saiyan. Sorry. (laughs) I popped for that. I can't wait till uh, God Mode Kushida comes out and it's just him versus Tomasa Ciampa, uh, Frieza, Gold Frieza. We get, we get the match we all want. <laughs> all right, so let's go over all these uh, parts right now. Dexter Loomis, he's got a spotlight. His music's playing. Uh, he's, he's on a platform in the arena towards the front, and he's drawing something. 
We'd see him drawing more later on. And then later on, it would reveal that he was drawing the New Year's Evil front. And he's going to be the host. Chris, how the fuck can a person that's mute be a host? I don't know. Maybe he's going to draw it all. You know, like when Darby Allen would do the uh, note cards. Maybe they're going to give him that gimmick, but he's going to draw it. Like every match. <laughs> also, can this guy actually draw? Like, does he have any art on Instagram or anything? Like, what made them think that this guy needed to be an artist? Like, is he like, you know, is he secretly like uh, Jerry the King Lawler? <laughs> like, is he actually really good at art? <laughs> oh, no, that's that's no bullshit. Those are actually his drawings. Okay. Like I said, I was asking because I don't know. But, yeah, like, so, you know, just do the Darby Allen thing. If he's going to be a silent host, he could do that. You know, note cards, toss them aside, draw some pictures, toss them aside kind of thing. And, and obviously they're going to tape it. So if him and Orange Cassidy were sitting at a table, who would make the first comment of conversation? Orange Cassidy, because he'd give him the thumbs up, <laughs> which there you go. to me is starting a conversation. <laughs> well, I think Dexter needs to learn the proper concept of what a draw is, but... um. Anyways, let's move on. He he, he also needs to get rid of this artist gimmick as quickly as possible. He needs to go to the office and be like, I can't be a serial killer and the artist at the same time. I just feel like I just feel like Taker is going to be there one day looking from the back at what he's doing and be like, all right, I definitely need to get him real quick and fucking what the hell was that? Why are you drawing? What's scary about drawn pictures? First thing Terrible Tinker's going to say is, like, shave the fucking stash, dog. You look like a creeper. <laughs> and the second thing Tinker's going to say is, like, pick what style of wrestling you want to do. If you're going to be like me or Kevin Nash, then just do that. Don't also try to be not that. His matches are so weird. I, like... Even going back to Impact, now that I've gotten more into Dexter Loomis, it, it, they're just – it's all over the place with his character for me, like especially in WWE now that they introduced this artist thing. And if, he sh- you know, if you're going to take one thing uh, from NXT, do not let yourself get Shinsuke Nakamura'd, you know, the artist. Like Ugh. probably don't do that. <laughs> Pretty Ugh. much Shinsuke Nakamura went from one of the greatest wrestlers in the world to – tagging with Cesaro and losing a lot. Oh, God. Oh, all right. A um, lot of video packages or video packages slash interviews. So I'm going to break down all four of them. Uh, we had a video package of Tony Storm talking about her feud with Rhea Ripley uh, and their grudge match and how she's going to basically take it to um, Rhea because she's not the same Tony Storm. Uh, I like that she acknowledged at their last meeting at um, Worlds Collide when she was representing the UK and Rhea was representing the US that she lost to her, but she beat her before that to gain the title. So they have they've had several matches before. So I liked that aspect of it. Um, Kyle O'Reilly was backstage. He was just you know going over stuff and and warming up with uh, Adam Cole and Roderick Strong. And then we see Pete Dunne basically doing the same thing with the tag team champions. Uh, we go to a break, come back, and then they have a little package with Le De- Legado del Fantasma uh, sitting down together. 
Um, and then Mackenzie Mitchell talks to Shotzi Blackheart. She's proud of her team, and they gave Candice LeRae a beating. But now Candice wants to talk like she is uh, tro- like with this little trophy that Johnny stole from a Little League game or something like that. Um, and, uh, you know, Candice is out, and she's calling herself the general, but she said that she broke her arm, so she actually, to herself, won. She howls and then walks off, and she's having a match soon with Indy Hartwell. So any anything jump out to you from these four segments? So the Candice stuff was all directed at Shotzi, right? What's that? The the howl and being the commander, that's all that was all aimed at Shotzi Blackheart, right? Well no, it was Shotzi Blackheart talking about uh, Oh okay, Candace. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Maybe I missed that segment, so I apologize for that, but um man, let me let me get started on this. What why did they have a War Games match and why should I care? I guess is the first like coming out of this you have Tony Storm versus Rhea, right? What is the championship picture? I don't know. <laughs> EO forever champion. They're gonna have to send Oscar down. Someone's gotta the... beat her. Like <laughs> she's had it for a very long time. No one Candace has tried to do it multiple times. Rhea Ripley's tried to do it multiple times. Who the fuck's gonna take the title off of her? I mean, I guess what they're doing with the uh, was it Boa? The maybe the Boa story? Maybe put it on Zaya? I guess I don't know, but it's that's the thing is like coming out of War Games, you just have a clear cut person that should be going for the title, but instead we're still in this mid card feud of the women's division, which is the focal point of the show. Real realistically, if we're being honest, the women's division is the focal point of NXT, which I have no problem with. Except it needs to move along. I can't see the same matches week after week after week. So it, yep. especially if you're if you don't have a clear cut person going for the championship. Oh, I agree. So next up we had Tommaso Ciampa with the match with Tyler Rust. As far as uh, Ciampa gave this guy a great fucking match. I was highly impressed by Tyler Russ uh, technical work within this match. Um, and I like that they're not stopping with this Ciampa, you know, um, feud uh, with uh, Tyler Russ, uh, you know, mentor, uh, Timothy Thatcher. And that was a thing. As soon as Ciampa got there, he went and grabbed a chair, put it down. So if, uh, you know, Timothy thought of it, he could come out and sit down while watching his uh, little protege get his ass beat, and he put even his T-shirt on there. So at first he didn't. They start the match. Like I said, a lot of great technical grappling. Um, Tyler was giving Tommaso Ciampa a couple times a run for his money, and his style is very unique, his technical style. Uh, but I was, like I said, I was impressed. I thought this was going to be somewhat like a uh, squash match. There was definitely some mind games, or not mind games, but a distraction that Tommaso Ciampa caused himself because Timothy did come out and was watching the match, and he was almost trying to, like, fuck with him by hurting his opponent, and that, in and, and doing so, was giving his opponent chances to get in and, uh, you know, take out Ciampa. But uh, at one point, they went outside the ring, and I think it was, I don't know if it was a, if it was a kick or a punch, but Tommaso Ciampa 
avoided uh, a punch from Rust and just completely nailed Timothy Thatcher. He got pissed. He got in uh, Tomas Chapa's face. They went, they took him and brought him out. And, uh, you know, just uh, went, this went back and forth. And finally, Tomas Chapa hit the Willow, Willow's Bell, dripping DDT to win the match, which I really like. Even though I like the uh, the fairy tale ending as a finisher, the the draping DDT that he does is also pretty good. And after the match, Chapa stands tall. He exits the ring and picks up uh, Thatcher's T-shirt. He walks to the stage and Thatcher runs out, but referees stop him before he can reach Champa. Champa stares at Thatcher and taunts him before heading to the back. So I'm assuming we're gonna get another match with these guys, and I think Thatcher's got to win at that point, Chris, because why the fuck would they continue this? I, I, to, to, to me, Timothy Thatcher needs a strong win, um, and it would only make sense after their pretty damn good match at TakeOver. Keep the feud going, get Timothy one, and then the ending obviously will be the rubber match down the line. But uh, how'd you like the match, and how did you like this newcomer, uh, Tyler Russ? Because afterwards, uh, Stokely Hathaway, or Stokely Hathaway, I'm sorry, uh, manager that got signed up, he had that one tag team, but one of the guys got fired. We're not going to get back into that. He's been telling Russ that he should leave Thatcher and basically told him, you know, you're better than this and is trying to motivate as his new manager, it seems. So interesting pairing. Do you like Tyler Russ? And do you like them continuing the Champa timothy Thatcher storyline going forward? I do like the storyline going forward. I would have had Champa just beat this guy in like four seconds as an insult to Thatcher's school, um, which I know it was like a debut of Tyler Russ, and they wanted to put the guy over and make him look good, and I think Champa did a good job with that. But in storyline, Champa should have just demolished this dude. Uh, the draping DDT, I love. What does he call it? The Widow's Bell? Yeah. I love it because I just want him versus Randy Orton eventually because of the Twitter feud. Because, <laughs> you Do know, it. Orton has the – yeah, <laughs> that would be great. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Thatcher should get the win, but I'm assuming that they're just going to have Ciampa beat him and then move Ciampa along to something else, if I'm being completely honest. And I don't know what that means for Timothy Thatcher. They already had the guy submit, so they kind of took away a part of his gimmick. Um, some of the stuff on the show, like I said, with Kushida in the opening match, losing in a random tag match, there, there's some stuff that's sporadic on the show. I think all the matches were good. And it was a better overall show, but there's some stuff storyline that's it's kind of questionable on on what they're actually doing going forward. Yeah, it's a uh, it's 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 interesting. It's a, definitely a building block era right now. But anyways, we get a new pro uh, promo from the Grizzle Young Veterans. Um, I mean, showed a lot of highlights. These guys had some incredible matches with uh, Mark Andrews and his tag partner. I always forget his name. He's the one that dresses up like a like he's from the Who, like in a mod outfit. But anyways. They have great matches. I th- I actually think that uh, Zach Gibson's really good on the mic. Once again, I just don't care. So that's a uh, only issue, I would say. <laughs> How do you feel, Chris? <laughs> I I agree with you. It's hard to care when you have three tag teams. 
one of them will eventually have the title belt. Look around the rest of the wrestling world and look at the tag. I mean, take let's take New Japan out of the picture, I guess. But like, look around the American wrestling world. Look at the tag divisions and look at where your tag division is at. So you have Imperium, right? Who's split between NXT UK and normal NXT. You have Fan uh, Brazengo, I guess. Undisputed Error, and then these cats. I guess like I I don't know. I guess that's my biggest problem is like you know WWE doesn't care about the tag division. It shows. Even Triple H. I thought Triple H would try to revitalize it more in NXT, but they pulled so much talent out of NXT, specifically the tag division, only to break them up <laughs> once they get to the main roster, I guess, or fire them. That <laughs> it's like how the hell is he supposed to compete with the tag team division in AEW? He's got three tag teams. God, <sighs> I don't know, man. Well, I guess it is. I guess Denny Birch and uh, shout out to Denny Birch and Oni Lurkin. I didn't forget about you guys, but you get what I'm saying. There's there's yeah. like three or four tag teams, and one of them is split between two products, so <laughs> it's hard All to right, care so, about. Yeah, no, I agree with you. So we got the Undisputed Era walking backstage, getting ready for their match. Pete Dunne uh, with Danny Lurkin uh, or Oni Lurkin and Danny Birch, also. Getting ready for their match. We have a package for Karrion Cross, uh, And, you know, I already talked about the Malcolm Bivens thing. Oh, I was actually referring to him as his old uh, name in, in, uh, in indie wrestling, but Malcolm Bivens is his name. So he's the one who came up to Tyler Rust and said that, you know, he's better than this and uh, got him to come with him. So we're going to see more of that. Uh, Dexter Loomis already talked about that whole thing. Let's get to Kyle O'Reilly and Pete Dunne. This match was Awesome. Very hard hitting. The only problem I had is it's a slight problem. It was at the beginning, right when they started, because it all started with chaos. You know, you had uh, Lorkin and Birch already starting shit, and uh, they're about to, to start in the match. And then, of course, because, you know, Killing Cro- Killian Dane's back from his injury, so he's pissed off at them. And he had a uh, uh, little guy with him, um, and Drake Maverick. They go and try to take them on. They start fighting them. Then Adam Cole comes out, uh, and uh, so does uh, Roderick Strong. They start the f- within the fight. Then Fandango jumps out of nowhere. So all these tag teams are fighting. I guess they were trying to prove to you, Chris, that there are a couple tag teams there because they make their way to the out uh, to the uh, to the back, and we start the match. And right when you start it, Pete Dunne like threw these punches that were just in the air. Like it was just like you know. But whatever. I mean, the match was so hard hitting towards the beginning of it. Lots of stretching, lots of basically Pete just stretching and fucking tossing around uh, Kyle O'Reilly for a good majority. Then Kyle O'Reilly, you know, would get a couple strikes in here and there. Um, but just a really great back and forth match. Um, towards the end of the match, though, because this went through like four fucking commercials. Uh, we had more back and forth. O'Reilly and Dunn trade uh, more submissions for a few more minutes. Dunn grabs the fingers of O'Reilly, beats him down with more strikes. O'Reilly drops Dunn with a kick to the jaw. Dunn uh, leaps up, stomps the fingers, and nails a roundhouse kick. O'Reilly charges but gets kicked in the head again. Dunn with more bending of the fingers and strikes on the apron. 
O'Reilly blocks a bitter end on the apron and nails him with the suplex to the four and look fucking gnarly. Uh, O'Reilly immediately brings it back to the ring while Dunn drapes over the bottom rope with his face down in the mat. O'Reilly goes to the top and nails a flying knee drop to Dunn's head. O'Reilly uh, covers for the pin uh, and the win. And after the match, O'Reilly stands tall. O'Reilly versus Finn Balor is confirmed for New Year's Evil on January 6th. And uh, yeah, that was uh, that was it. I am ready for this rematch. I hope these guys don't break each other's fucking arms and legs and jaws again uh, like they did last time. But should be good. I really actually thought Pete Dunne was going to win this. Going to kind of admit that because I don't think I've seen Pete Dunne and Finn Balor. But still like the match. Uh, this is submission work. Uh, fucking Kyle had this one time. I think it was Kyle or maybe it was Pete. I can't remember exactly where he just he got an arm bar. He got taken out of it. Got him in another arm bar and just kept on going at it. Uh, just good shit. And that suplex off the apron looked nasty. Uh, good stuff. What do you think, Chris? Best match of the show and possibly the best match on Wednesday. Uh, it was a really, really good-ass match. And what I have in my notes here is great match. And uh, does Pete Dunn have jaundice? Because I'm getting really worried about the amount of orange he's turning. <laughs> oh, God. I think he's just tanning, man. I don't know. He looks the same Is skin he? color as our uh, our soon-to-be ex-president. <laughs> well, stop. It's weird. I don't know how to uh, – I'm, like, actively worried about Pete Dunne with this tanning thing he's doing. Oh, my God. Because if you go so back, funny. like, two years and look at Pete Dunne, it's like, that guy looks different. <laughs> Why is he – I mean, like, I, I'm normally not the guy that points out things about people's bodies or body types or shapes or whatever. But if you look at, like, Pete Dunn three years ago versus now, one, he's huge now. He's definitely got it in shape. You know, he's, like, good for him. Like, he's putting in the work in the gym and stuff. But, like, why is he so orange? I'm, like, legitimately worried. Because I well, love he is, John. <laughs> he is from the UK. So what I'm assuming is, because they kind of replace you over there a lot of times. Maybe their gyms, not any of them, they don't have uh, tanning beds like they do over here in America. Maybe he's like, hey, what's this? And he oh. went in there, got one fucking tan, and now every time he goes to the gym, he does it too. It's and like a spray he, tan or something. Gym, gym tan and laundry, just like fucking Jersey Shore. My wife, who's not a huge wrestling fan, was like, why is he so orange? And then as soon as she pointed it out, I was like, God damn it. I'm never going to get over this. <laughs> Same thing when Jim Cornette said something about it. I can't stop looking at him like, why are you shades that you should not be? Uh-huh. Yeah. The funny thing is, like, my wife thought he was hot to begin with, and then he went away for a while, and, you know, she doesn't actively keep up with all the stuff that we talk about. Then she's like, why is he so orange now? <laughs> I don't know. She was like, I really like the King of Bros, or whatever their tag team was. And I was like, yeah, well, we all did. Um, I really like the storyline. I think it's. Uh, what are they gonna do with Pat McAfee? Because like, like it's still a group in theory, right? I don't know. I'm not sure. So that's. I mean, I guess that's the most interesting thing coming out of this. But a great match. I mean, Kyle O'Reilly and Pete Dunne. They're gonna have a good match. Very fun to, to me, watch. This should have been the main event. Honestly. It should have. It should have. Like I said, it was. It was the match of the night on both products easily for me. I'll have to agree with you. 
All right, so we had Mackenzie. She was talking to Rhea Ripley. Uh, she talks about how Raquel Gonzalez backed down from her, and they they have uh, you know unfinished business. Then she turns her attention to Tony Storm and acknowledges that they do have a history together, and that Tony said that she's changed, and Rhea let her know that she's also changed, and that back then she was a piece of trash, and now she still is a piece of trash, and she's going to beat her. So uh, good good foreshadowing. Then we had another one of these fucking crazy vignettes that started off like I don't care to I don't know what the fuck's going on. And for some reason, that's intriguing, at least for me, uh, and maybe not in a good way either. But we have Zia and Boa on their training, quote unquote. And you see Zia Lee, She's punching. She's kicking. She's punching. She's crying. She doesn't want to do this. And we go to Boa and he's someone's annihilating him. So further in it, while the uh, older gentleman is giving them instructions, we find out she's beating the shit out of Boa. And uh, this weird figure, same thing, kind of ringish, if you will, woman who you can only see one of her eyes through her hair um, is just watching them. And uh, yeah, that's that's what it continues. I have no idea what's going on. I Like I said, I don't know if this is good or bad, but it's it's uh, it's interesting. That's for sure. I really think this is going to be Mako Sutomura coming over to NXT. Uh, that's, you know, like I said, she was involved with the Mae Young Classic. She almost won it. She lost to Tony Storm in an awesome fucking match. If you haven't got a chance to watch it, search it on the WWE Network or just find it. Um, and she was big in uh, Shimmer and, and a lot of the other Japanese organizations trained a lot of the women. It's a bit older. She's been around for a while and she's just an ass kicker. So, I could see her coming over here, and uh, her and Io would be an interesting match because I don't know if they have history in the ring, but I'm pretty sure she partially trained Io. Could be wrong on that, but like I said, a lot of those women in Stardom and Shimmer, uh, Mako has either you know had matches with or uh, has had part in their training. I know Tony and also uh, Shotzi, not Shotzi Blackheart, um, Will Ospreay's wife. Uh, talked very highly of, of her helping them throughout their career. But uh, what the fuck's going on with these things, Chris? I don't know, but they need to pull the trigger really quickly for me to care about the storyline. I think you're 100% dead on with it being Miko. After further research, she is signed with NXT, specifically NXT UK for some reason. Uh, after doing some research from the last time we talked two weeks ago, and uh, she's signed as a coach and an on-air talent, so they could definitely utilize her. That would make probably the most sense. I was hoping they would bring in, you know, someone like Tessa or maybe even uh, Carrie Hojo or Carrie Zane again, and just revitalize that roster. Nothing wrong with Miko, but you know, she's 41. We're talking about developmental wrestling. And, I mean, she's going to be great. Like, she'll be a great opponent for people there. But, I don't know. I I guess if you're trying to build new stars, you know, Miko has been around for a long period of time. Um, outside of that. Yeah, and what's I, crazy, she used to look like a Joshi wrestler. That used to be her old look, but that was, like, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And now she's, like, she's always had, like, much more of a grizzled look now, I, I think. Probably harpening back to not size-wise, but like trying to be aggressive-looking, like a uh, Aja Kong or a uh, um, oh my God, why can't I think of her name? With the blue hair, um, 
Oh my god, White, you broke my mind too. God damn it, uh, her and Medusa. Fuck. <laughs> Pull Nakano. Why? Pull Nakano, yes. One of you those like intimidating intimidating aggressive styles. Um but if you look at her stuff from previous, she was very much that Joshi wrestler look. So I don't know. And especially if they're doing this new thing with I guess white face paint and making her look like uh the the Samara from the ring. Um whatever. If that is true. The last match I saw her in was in like a Chikara match or a DDT match. So it's been a while since I've even seen her wrestle, to be honest. I mean, oh, she's dude. an absolute legend, but it's just been her a long-ass time. Her and Storm killed it for the uh, either the semifinals or the finals for the uh, the last Mayon Classic. Look it up on okay. the network. Yeah, yeah, no, that that would have been the last one I saw then. The Mayon Classic was, like, not last year, but maybe the year before. It was a couple years, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that I guess that would be. I'm, I'm talking about before WWE. I mean, I guess DDT or Chikara, I would say, because last time I saw her, I mean, she's fucking phenomenal. Obviously, a legend. Um, Check out this picture I'm sending you right now. You'll love this. And then tell the tell the audience that I just sent you. Okay. All right. I'm looking at the picture now, guys. Uh. <laughs> it's just. Her choking out Minoru Suzuki and Minoru Suzuki choking her out. <laughs> Same <Yeah>. photo. <laughs> Love it. My favorite picture of Minoru Suzuki ever is seven-year-old Minoru Suzuki that looks so pissed off at being alive. <laughs> it's like he's never not looked pissed off his entire life. <laughs> I uh, love Suzuki so much. I love that, that one with him in a corny that I sent you earlier this week. Yeah, which he strangely looked happy, which is scary. This motherfucker's scary. <laughs> yeah, like, Cornette's super happy to be with Minoru Minor Suzuki always looks like Minoru Suzuki. Like, he always looks like he might fuck you up. <laughs> like, like, you could go out to a bar with Minoru. He could be your best friend. Go out to a bar with Minoru Suzuki. You're like, we're going to do some karaoke. We're going to hang out and have some drinks. But, like, every time you look at him, you're like, this guy might fuck me up in the parking lot for no reason. Like, <laughs> he's just he's just that guy. Like, I, I don't know that anyone is more intimidating to me as far as wrestling figures than Minoru Suzuki. Because, like, there's something about that guy where, like, man, just, like, his facial expressions, the hair, everything. Like, his whole demeanor is just, like, I might murder you later. <laughs> Like I know they're trying to get that across with someone like uh like Karrion Cross or uh you know uh, Dexter Loomis, but it's like no, what you really need is some Nor Suzuki <laughs> looking, yeah. looking dude. Guy's terrifying. I'm I'm telling you, my ultimate concept in my head, just a face off. If we could have gotten a face off with Piper, like circa eighty six and Minoru Suzuki right now. Just the two of them staring each other down. Just about to just destroy each other. Would be fucking amazing. Especially when they start smiling at each other. Like, you know, that's, that's some scary shit. I would have loved that if they did the full press conference, say, for like a... Um, oh, oh, this guy wrestle, right over here. Like a Wrestle Kingdom match. So you get the quotes of both of them. That would have been absolutely amazing. Because you, cause you know your boy Roddy's going to come through with one of the best promos of all time against Minora. Oh, yeah. Um, and then 
gets them at the end of it with like um uh, I don't know a fortune cookie. Uh, like several of them in the fan just smash them over Minoru Suzuki's head. I it was it was crazy. Um, people forget about this about Minoru Suzuki, and we've talked about it on the show. And if you guys haven't listened to the Ken Shamrock interview, I highly recommend you go back and listen to that because it was a lot of fun. And Ken's a great. It was a good dude. Um, but back before. UFC became what UFC is like. Minoru Suzuki legitimately beat Ken Shamrock in a shoot fight three three times. And also, <laughs> if you're a fan of MMA and you don't know this, he actually started Pancras, so was one of the bigger MMA wrestling hybrids, if you will, back in the day um, that he started. So yeah, he's a badass. He's a legit badass, man. Yes. This is the right. Minori Suzuki uh, appreciation podcast now. That's all we're going to talk <laughs> about. So, <laughs> all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, put, I want to get to the uh, main events. So I'm going to put these two matches together. We had Indy Hartwell and Shotzi Blackheart. Shotzi came out on her new tank, and uh, they had a pretty good match at the end of it, though. Um, really weird, awkward concept where Blackheart took the trophy that was for Candice and broke it over Shotzi right in front of the referee. That also pissed off Candace and Johnny were like, what are you doing? Because she took the trophy and destroyed it, essentially. So, okay, uh, whatever. And then Karrion Cross fucking destroyed Desmond Troy. It was good seeing Karrion back in the ring. I know we're going to be getting him and Damian Priest, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, and he just annihilated this guy. So it's only a matter of time until he gets that title back. But um, this is exactly what you want to see Karrion Cross come out. Fucking drop the guy on his neck a couple times, say it a suplex on his neck, and choke his ass out. And love the entrance, love the package, love this character. I can't wait, like like I've said before, when Taker can get this guy, because I know it's going to happen, and kind of give him some some advice and stuff like that when he's at the uh, place. And I also love Scarlet. She's, she's a great addition. Just good stuff, man. What do you think? Candice LeRae is on the show way too goddamn much. <laughs> week in a row. She's got a broken arm and she's still on the show in four segments. It's like, like you can't do anything with your talent. Where's uh, where's uh, the cruiserweight champion? You can't find something else to do your story. I mean, like, look, all right, I like Candice LeRae. I think she's a, a really good wrestler, and I get they're doing this for the storyline, but she is on the show more than Johnny Gargano. Who is a former NXT champion? She's on the show more than her husband. Uh, so I, I kind of got lost in this just because I'm like, really? Are we doing this again? Um, Karrion Cross coming out was awesome. It's good to see him back. Hopefully he's healthy. And uh, I guess him versus Finn Balor, right? That's the thing. Balor is yeah. still recovering from his broken ass jaw. Well, Fat Balor's going to go against um, Kyle O'Reilly, obviously, at the, the New Year's sink. And um, <laughs> I thought you said Fat Balor for a second, and then I just thought of, like, uh, God, what is his name from ICP? The bigger one from ICP, but with Finn Balor makeup for some reason. <laughs> That's uh, interesting. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Finn is going with Kyle for the title, which obviously Kyle's going to lose. And where we got Karrion Cross attacking Damian Priest, I'm, ass- I'm assuming Damian Priest is gonna 
come back. They're going to have that match. And then I, I would assume next would be Karrion Cross going against Finn Balor and getting that title back. Yeah, I, I think that makes the most sense. Exactly what you laid out. But is Finn going to be the demon? He's going to have you, to switch against Karrion at some point because it's WWE. If you right? really want to put Karrion Cross over, have him be the first person that beats the demon. I'm just saying that will. And then Finn, if he doesn't want to do it anymore, he can kind of retire at that, that point and just bring it out when he wants to in the future at some point, like he just did. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's the, probably the way to go. Um, yeah. I don't. What do you think about the show overall? I mean, well, we still got another match too. God, what is the last match? I forgot about this. We'll, we'll, we'll get to it. We get, so the segments, let's break them down real quick that happened right before this. Mackenzie um, talked to Swerve Scott. He didn't like losing uh, the week previous to Jake Atlas. He kind of almost went heel, but then took it back. So we're, we're going uh, across that rope. And he said that he got a rematch from William Regal, and he's going to beat him next week. Everize came up immediately, grabbed the mic. Um, and start talking shit about the Grizzly Young Vets, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're ready for Tony Storm and Rhea Ripley. And I thought this was a good match, man. Um, these ladies have great chemistry. They definitely had better matches, but this was not – it wasn't a pay-per-view match. It was still an NXT match. It was better than nothing, but uh, just a good match overall. And, uh, you know, Ripley had a lot going against her. Uh, Ripley – Got a big leg drop, and then another one, Ripley, with a third leg drop for a close two count. Storm fights the riptide off and hangs on to the top rope. Uh, Raquel Gonzalez runs down and gets on the apron, but ends up knocked down as Ripley knocks Storm off the apron into her. Ripley laughs as she goes out to bring Storm back in the ring. Gonzalez sweeps uh, Ripley's leg from behind on the apron, uh, catches her on her shoulder when she falls to the floor and then drives Ripley headfirst into the ring post. The referee is distracted by uh, Storm Storm during that whole entire thing. That was a really stupid way to write it, but whatever. Storm follows up and attacks Ripley, hitting her with Storm Zero Powerbomb and winning. And, man, there is, especially someone Ripley's size, like her, her height, that Storm Zero flip, there's, like, literally, if she was a couple inches... She could fucking fall right on her goddamn neck. So that, that move always scares the hell out of me. But after the match, uh, music hits. Storm stands tall with her arm raised. Gonzalez watches from the stage as we go to replays. And, uh, yeah, Ripley uh, pulls herself up, recovers, while Gonzalez watches from the ramp, and the two stare each other down as NXT goes off. Uh, what did you think about this match, Chris? All right. Um Confused on how we got here storyline-wise outside of War Games, I guess, because Tony just randomly turned heel. I thought the match itself was very, very, very good. Uh, what does Tony's move that she hit at the end? What is it called? You just you called it out, and I can't remember the name of it for Storm some reason. Storm Zero. Could you imagine her trying to do that with, like, Lana? <laughs> oh, God. You know what I mean? Like there's so much cooperation because it's an underhook that you flip their body over into a into a power bomb. So it's no, I, like uh what I'm not even trying to bash on Lana. Uh Mandy Rose, for instance. Could you imagine her trying to do that like on the main roster? She's probably gonna have to change that 
finish her up or find something else because I don't know, man. That that seems like hard for the best of the best to do on a week to week basis, which I think Tony and, and uh Rhea Raffili are both great in ring athletes, so it works, but man, I don't know. Uh I I like I said, I the biggest question about the women's division to me is why does any of this matter? <laughs> because Io has still been the champion for like a hundred years and she's beat all of these people. Yep. I don't know. You would think if, and I mean, they could do this. Uh, if Mako is, or Miko is uh, the, the woman that this whole thing's building to as a heel, uh, she could take that belt from Yoshirai, I guess, and thus have some baby faces try to take her out. So, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out there, and this is not me trying to be racial or anything, but is there something to like just NXT just throwing it on Japanese superstars and giving maybe. them a dominant win? Like, yeah, maybe they see, uh, you know, it works. <laughs> But it seems to be either Japanese or, or or American because there's the but yeah it does flip I mean it was Oscar it was Oscar for like 300 and something days or 400 days or something ridiculous and then EO has had well, that it was for Bailey. then yeah, like, yeah I mean yeah you had the four Gary horsemen Shane had the title for a while um yeah and then yeah. if they had Mako that would be another person that's uh, pretty dominant. <laughs> Yeah, and then, like I said, I'm not trying to like. I'm just pointing out the fact that they seem like they, with their with their female champions, it's not they they've never had like a since the four horsewomen. They've never had someone that's really cutting promos. Like Shayna had it for a long time, but she's not like a real promo kind of person. Like they they've never had the uh, outside of the four horsewomen. Like I said, but you don't really have the female champion the champion coming out there and cutting like promos and and being like a Sasha or a Bailey or a Becky Lynch. Maybe that's something they should look forward to find. I don't, I don't know how you find that, but you, you get what I'm saying? Like the whole package. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. Um, it's interesting. Cause I've never really pondered on it, but yeah, it's either been the four horsemen or it's been EO. Well, besides Shayna. Obviously, like you said, it was Io, Asuka, and uh, Kari Sane. So if Miko Satamara is the next one, yeah, she would just be another dominant Japanese female wrestler. So it's like, I guess since they haven't had the level uh, of the four horsewomen outside of Japanese wrestlers, they're staying to what they know, I guess, booking-wise, maybe. But you would think that Candice has never gotten the goddamn title. Candice is actually a good wrestler. She's been babyface. She's been heel. She's gone against fucking Io twice. Did not win. She went for the title against someone else. I think it was Shayna. Did not win. They have different wrestlers where they could have put the title on them. Tony Storm. Rhea Ripley had it, obviously, but it was kind of a short run. And they also brought back Charlotte. So, yeah, if you're not like a giant – or not really a giant, but like a larger-sized female that looks – intimidating or a Japanese wrestler that has mystique. That's the people that get the title. Yeah. I mean that that's how they, that's how they booked the female division in NXT is just complete dominance. 
right? So like you're a Japanese submission wrestler, it's etc. Or you're, I don't know. It's just a really weird way of booking. Like Candice LeRae should be a baby face, and so should Johnny Gargano, and and she would be the most obvious. And they turn Tony Storm, who I thought was the obvious, like let's make a chase. <laughs> Because EO is not really a babyface, if we're being honest. <laughs> like, so the only person they have left is Rhea Ripley. So, like, you got you either got to move Rhea Ripley or put the title on her. And, like, what are you doing with EO? So, this is my thing about, like, the NXT female division, match-wise, and the, the, the ability that they're able to have with these storylines and do a lot of cool stuff is amazing. Like, it's great. I love it. But the championship is just stuck. <laughs> like they've booked themselves in such a weird corner where everyone has lost to EO. Including Rhea Ripley, who would have been the, the obvious choice to have wins. So like you said, unless Satamora comes in and wins. But then you're in a very similar situation. I guess they're gonna give her a little bit of a faction. Um but then what do you do with EO? you would assume she would get a rematch, I would guess. And so, it, it I don't know. it It's good, and uh, NXT has a stacked women's division. That's part of the problem. I think they book... It seems like EO is so good, they're just like, anyone that wrestles EO is going to be fine. <laughs> and then they like, you know, like Candice LeRae, they're like, we can throw her in all these segments, it'll be good. And then they forget about, like, the progression of the story, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, we'll find out. Maybe next week's vignette will tell us exactly who that person is. And uh, maybe we'll also have a clear, regardless, maybe a clearer view of who's going to be in the title picture when it comes to EO next week. But um, let's get to our last show of SmackDown, and we'll run down the the matches for uh, TLC. And uh, this one, we're going to kind of not speed through it, but go a little bit faster. It's been a long show. Hope you guys have enjoyed. Yeah, let's just do the finishes. Just go straight to the finish, and I'll give you a hot take. <laughs> um, well, the first part was Owens just coming out and fucking cutting some fire on the mic. Uh, Greg Hamilton couldn't even say anything. Uh, it, it, Kevin just came immediately to the ring. And was talking to Roman backstage, basically. And, you know, we, we saw a video of the footage of him getting his ass kicked from behind, where Roman layered or lured him into the back, hit him with a chair a bunch of times, and looked at the camera and told basically uh, Owen's kids and uh, wife that they need to talk to, oh, to Kevin and, and snap him out of it, if you will, because if not, then he's going to basically destroy Kevin Owens and there won't be any food on their table sort of thing. Stone around that whole concept. So Kevin is not happy about this. Brings up the same stuff about him being a coward and him being terrible to his own family and just a hypocrite. And, uh, you know, Paul Heyman comes on and he starts trying to tell Kevin Owens that he basically thought that, you know, at first that uh, he was, crazy but now he just thinks he's a masochist that he wants pain and kevin just you know stops paul and says you know what i'm sick of this shit 
I'm sick of you. I'm sick of you, the stupid words coming out of your stupid face. I'm going to go back there and find Roman. So he goes back, does the same exact thing he did last time, but it's not like he was lured in. He was backstage and all of a sudden he hears Roman Reigns uh, music play and uh, Roman's on his way to the ring. So he, he tricked them. So Kevin's watching it from the monitor. Roman says a lot of similar things. Pisses off Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens comes out. Uh, he gets towards the ring, and Jey Uso runs up and hits him from behind. And then him and Roman just beat the living shit out of Kevin Owens. Um, you know, and, and everything's torn apart. We have Paul Pierce trying to stop it. He was trying to stop Kevin from going after Roman beforehand, saying, wait until the pay-per-view and this whole buildup. But Kevin's uh, Kevin's Kevin. So Owens starts to get up, but Reigns launches him into the barrier. Uh, Heyman comes out and hands the title over to Reigns as he puts it over his shoulder. Reigns, Uso, and Heyman march up the ramp as we see uh, Owens try to crawl and get up, but he's stumbling and can't get to his feet. Uh, what do you think about this uh, intro with basically fucking Kevin Owens? Not, not he's he's not he's not dealing with the, this shit. He's not intimidated of Roman Reigns, Chris. He wants to fuck him up, and he doesn't want you know Ke- Roman bringing up his family in promos. Kevin Owens was great. Roman and Uso and Heyman, they were all good. This is the best part of the entire show. It's it's kind of carrying SmackDown for me. I wish they would do a little bit more with Daniel Bryan which we'll talk about later, but um, man, this is, this is the reason you tune into SmackDown, what they have going on right now, in my opinion. And uh, they're not going to do it, but I would do a double turn. I would have Kevin Owens absolutely kill everyone at ringside. The Usos all power bombed on the apron, him absolutely trying to kill Roman Reigns. <laughs> They're not going to do that, but that's what I would do because Kevin Owens is going to be a better heel than a babyface, or at least yep. what they're trying to do now is the Stone Cold Steve Austin thing, which is which is fine. Um, but I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> I guess that's the weird part is like you, <laughs> your two best people in your company right now, or like on SmackDown is is Roman and Kevin, I think hands down and. They're both like Roman's great as a heel, as we've seen, and, and Kevin Owens is better as a heel. So it's just a weird thing. They get they have to get Daniel Bryan in the mix at some point. Realistically, like I don't, I can't think of another baby face they would have. Yeah, I'm not sure that the, he makes the most sense, especially next. Um, but anyway, so back. Uh, we see Kevin Owens getting helped up, and then we shoot to Jey Uso and Roman Reigns. You know, Jay's going on about how they destroyed him and got the message across, and that you know, Kevin's Kevin's not coming back from this. And Roman says, "No, I don't think that. I know his kind. They won't stop no matter what." And then Reigns, awesome fucking delivery, the way he's looking at him, he says, "Take him out." And Uso looks at him, nods his head, and gets out of there. Dude, I mean, is he... How many times do you think he watched The Godfather? Like, he's coming off fucking, like, a mobster, dude. <laughs> yeah, we, we talked about it the last time we were on the show. I was like, well, he is half Italian, half Samoan. They're, they're mixing that in. But it is very much... It feels very much 
more like a mafia than like a tribal chief uh, with the way he's treating the scenario. But yeah, I I completely agree with you. Roman is scary. <laughs> like he's a person you don't want to fight. <laughs> and he's also a person like, you know, you don't want to get caught behind the scenes with because he's also I mean, I wish they would play into that more that he's Vince's boy a little bit, you know. Um, there's a lot of stuff you could do with Roman. He, that whole storyline with him and Paul has been just amazing. Uh, I would say right now, if I'm looking around the entire wrestling world, he's the best heel in the business. I mean, I guess you'd be like, ooh, MGF's a better promo. And I'm like, yeah. Well, he's not as over as Roman right now. So um, Roman is, is money. And if they were talking kayfabe or not, I love Don Callis and Kenny Omega, but these, but this was happening with Paul Heyman and Roman way before you guys came on the scene, and you got a lot, lot to give before I could even put you close to that level of, of what they're doing right now with Paul Heyman and, and Roman Reigns, especially. Yeah, I have to agree with you, and and see the fact that they didn't really capitalize on the invasion the way they could have. Like, Kenny's not the same level as Roman as a heel. Like, Roman's beating the shit out of his blood. <laughs> like, his own family. He's like, you fucked up. Let me hit you, hit you with a chair kind of stuff. It's like it's a different level of heel that we, we've... As far as wrestling goes, uh, it's a different level of heel we've seen in a long time. Uh, and it, it's it's good. It's good shit. I mean, I guess the the only real question is like when we get to Mania, who is his opponent? Is it Lesnar? Is it The Rock? Is it is it Huso? I mean, that's the the real glaring question. But the the story itself and the carrying and how Roman's portrayed himself and his delivery, like you said, I mean, he's a person you naturally want to hate. Look at the guy; he's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, I, I completely agree. All right, well, let's move on because they're definitely not done with that. Uh, but we had the SmackDown Tag Team title match, which I don't know how this didn't end up on the pay-per-view. This is actually a really good match, too, with uh, Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler. Love love the matching outfits. That's a thing I always appreciate, the fact that they are finally started doing that. They went against Street Profits. This was an awesome match. Um, you know, it, it mostly was Montez Ford just getting his ass kicked at the beginning and selling like a motherfucker uh, until he finally was able to get past Ziggler, tag in Angelo Dawkins. I love, I don't know what the hell it is. It's it's like an underhook that he rotates and does a spinning neckbreaker that he's now doing, but he never used it as a finisher. It always gets like, I feel like that should end a match. You don't always have to do the splash uh, for Montez to get that win, but my favorite parts were like when he and uh, Bobby Roode were going back and forth. Bobby Roode, uh, Angelo uh, tried to put him in the spine buster, I believe, and then he reversed it, almost got him in the DDT, and then uh, reversed that again. They, they, their back and forth was really good, but the ending uh, would have Dawkins blocks a super kick from Ziggler, or yeah, blocks a super kick, but Ziggler still rocks him. Uh, Dawkins hits the big cash out power bomb. Ford tags in and goes to the top, nailing a big frost, frog splash on Ziggler, but Ziggler gets his knees up. Uh, 
Ford may have – I don't know if he got his knees up. I'm actually going to disagree with that because, like, Corey went into this. It looked like Ziggler just barely moved, but they did a thing where they were working on Montez's Ford's ribs the whole entire match, and, like, he was selling that. Um, but anyway, Ziggler rolls over for another close two count. Rude tags in and rolls uh, uh, Ford up from behind using the tights for leverage. Uh, Ford kicks out and immediately rolls Rude up for the pin and also does the same thing and beats him at their own game. Uh, Winner of the Street Profits and afterwards, really weird segment where Ziggler and Rude were just arguing with uh, Charles Robinson, just bitching him out. And finally, Little Nate fucking freaked out and was like, that's enough! You both get back before I suspend you! And it was like, whoa, okay, don't fuck with Charles Robinson. Don't know why they threw that in there, but uh, definitely liked the whole thing. But yeah, good tag match. Uh, right guys won. This probably should have been on the pay-per-view. Chris, what do you think? Have to agree with you about it. it should have been on the pay-per-view. I only watched the highlights of this match. From what I saw, it was really, really like good. I wouldn't expect anything less of of these cats. But uh, yeah, I'm tag divisions. Am I right in WWE? <laughs> Like even even if the if the belts switch, who are they gonna go against? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Love these impromptu uh, tag teams, but yeah, I don't. I have no idea. They just need to be one show, honestly, on both on both networks. Ron SmackDown, this whole fucking dual roster thing it's just not working anymore unified titles let's stop doing the stupid shit but uh that's just me i i would debate that the dual roster things never worked <laughs> like honestly it's never really worked i mean i guess when edge was smackdown champion and you still had taker there it made it intriguing but that was god we're talking 2008 maybe 2007 it's not worked in a long time. They should just, uh, especially if you're not going to have split pay-per-views and uh, etc. It's probably time to just call it on the draft. Yep. Yep. I think it's over. It's uh, Rant's course. And not only that, wouldn't USA and Fox want all the stars on both their shows? You know... When they, well, doesn't you? You're telling me USA doesn't want Roman Reigns on their show? Come on. What the fuck? <laughs> you, Apparently, USA. and I just read this. <laughs> Listen to this. So this headline is from. Let's see if it's still here. Uh, who was? Uh, Cage Side Seats reported that USA Network uh, were extremely upset over the low uh, rush or uh, viewership of Raw. So apparently, USA is pretty pissed off about this. Do you think there will be a shakeup? <laughs> you just unify the titles. You could do like I don't know, elimination chambers coming up, right? Make every match an elimination chamber match and fucking put all the titles on the line and whoever wins is the undisputed champion and then do that. I'm not surprised that USA is a little pissed. <laughs> 1.5 million viewers on fucking Monday Night Raw. What the yeah. hell? I mean, they got they got beat by the combined ratio of Wednesday, and as we've talked about, like the the entire point of Vince putting that on Wednesday 
NXT in general, and, and we've said it before, it's cannibalizing the audience. That's the only reason it's even really there. Uh, it's a problem, man. The, the ratings, I, I know they're not important to a lot of people, but when you start combining ratings for like AEW and NXT and they're bigger than Raw, that's, that's a problem. And the brand split doesn't help. And also that three hours is a lot of wrestling to dedicate yourself to. Yep. I agree with you across the board. All right. Well, uh, we had uh, Kevin Owens. He was backstage uh, getting helped uh, by officials and Paul Pierce. And Jey Uso came out of nowhere with a chair and started beating him again um, and just walks off. And Adam Pierce, uh, you know, and all of them are, are working on Owens again. So he's just getting his ass kicked, man. Um, back from the break, Kayla Braxton, she's talking to Bianca Belair. And Belair uh, says she disagrees with Bailey being a role model. Uh, she says despite what she's accomplished on her own, she's always wanted to face Bailey since coming to SmackDown. And even though she'll be a measuring stick, uh, she thinks that Bailey is a piece of crap, basically, and uh, doesn't want Belair's name in her mouth. So she's going to be the EST, and she will S H I N E tonight. And so that that was a that was a nice little thing with Bianca. Liked it. We had a match with the Riot Squad, Billy Kay and Tamina. Riot Squad's becoming a pretty damn good uh, tandem uh, tag team in the ring, but I don't care about any of this Billy thing. She had Natalia. Natalia. She ended up losing on Natalia. She ended up losing on Tamina, and Tamina did not look happy about it. But um, yeah. Do you care about any of this? Greasy butter? No, <laughs> I don't care about any. I I like the Bianca, the Bianca Belair promo. Yep. Uh, it's weird that she's going after Bailey because it seems like she should have been elevated to the title picture. And it's weird that both Bailey, I, I Sasha, babyface, he presented as one, I guess. <sighs> okay, so that that's still the Carmella Sasha stuff is very confusing to me on who is actually a babyface. Um, so, anyways, I mean, Bel Air is next in line, right? So she's probably just gonna smoke this chick. Uh, I thought the promo was pretty decent. Outside of that, man, this was uh, and like I said, I just watched the highlights, so uh, no comments on anything in between except for that. That I mean, that was the big highlight is that they're still trying to push Bianca Belair, which I'm glad. I feel like they should have done this coming off the Charlotte Flair match, where it was like her was it was like her Charlotte and uh, Rhea. Yeah. Wouldn't that have been the time to push her instead of having her like calling her up to the main roster and making her a part of the street profits for 10 seconds and then having her on main event? I have no idea. And I mean, the match tonight, we'll, we'll get to it, but very confusing. But the good things, I like Bianca Belair. She continues to get great on the mic. She's great in the ring. And I like the Riot Squad as a tag team, but everything else, don't really care. And here's something I really don't care about. Um, and it's it's not it's not because Carmella isn't good on the mic. She is. I just don't give a fuck about this feud. And if Sasha loses, I'm gonna fucking go insane. And she's probably not gonna lose. So this whole entire feud was a lot of great build up from Carmella without little payoff. Where I know their match is not gonna be the greatest at all. 
So she's out. She's with her concierge or her whatever, the guy that's got different champagne. She doesn't like the first one. She thinks it tastes like trash. This is her toast to Sasha being champion. She brings up the fact that all three of her reigns were less than one of Carmella's reign, which is true. Um, Sasha comes out and she hits her with another champagne bottle because of distraction with her concierge and hits her in the back with, yeah, champagne bottle. I already said that. So that was it. Their match is going to be this weekend. I don't care. I'm sorry. I just don't. I think Carmella, like I said, thinks she's great on the mic. Don't really care for her that much in the ring. And this is pretty much the same fucking character she had already when she was a heel. Not much has changed. What do you think, Chris? Well, like I said earlier, I'm confused on who who's a heel and who's a babyface in this scenario. And also, Sasha and Bailey, uh, or not, no, not Sasha and Bailey, Sasha and uh, Car- Carmella are kind of the same character. <laughs> like, if I'm being yeah. completely honest, with the, without you know. Sasha has the prestige, but their cockiness and their character and and the fact that Sasha doesn't have to really overcome anything except for like, I'm not friends with Bailey anymore. And just it's a match you it's hard to care about. There's no story there. (laughs) Really. Um, If you want to get Carmella over as being someone who's not the best in the ring, I'm not going to say she's terrible, but she does have like four moves. It's a super kick, slide pin, clothesline, and uh, I think sometimes she does a hurricane runner. That's pretty much all you're going to get out of her outside of like chops and punches. The person to bring back, if you're going to try to make Carmella like a huge heel uh, champion, Enzo. Have Enzo be your manager. How you doing? He doesn't even How have you to doing? wrestle. Like, he doesn't even have to wrestle. He just has to be your manager and if you want to do that, but like, it's just baffling to me that they look at Carmella versus the rest of that female roster with like Dana Brooke. And, um, well, I'm not even talking about, I guess I'm not specifically talking about SmackDown, but like, uh, Mickey James and Naomi, who's done nothing for months and months. It's just, it's crazy to me that, like, they were like, yeah, Carmella's the person we should put in the spot right after this hot Bailey-Sasha feud. So. Yeah, I don't get it. And I'm not even trying to be a, I'm not even a person that hates Carmella. I know there's a lot of wrestling fans out there that dislike Carmella. I don't think she's the best in the ring or anything, but it's not, like, she seems safe. She's a good, like, she's a decent promo. Fine for what she is, but uh, it's a weird buildup from a big feud between Sasha and Bailey that lasted like six years. I gotta agree with you. <sighs> I don't know. We'll find out this uh, tomorrow, actually, of what happens. But uh, we see Kevin Owens. He's in the trainer's room. He's getting checked out. He's, uh, you know, Jey Uso runs in, starts punching him. Uh, brawls with them and then gives them a spine buster and puts them through a table. So KO's just taking on more damage, Chris. Yeah. Um, we should just call this the Kevin Owens show. He's on this the same amount of time as Candice LeRae, so maybe they had the same <laughs> booker. <laughs> they have the same. They have the same agent. Uh, <laughs> my clients. Look, I, I mean, this was good. 
it, it did keep you invested because you knew Kevin Owens eventually would hopefully get the better of the heels or at least have this comeback. And as a babyface, that's the first time I thought about that in WWE in a while. Whereas like, this man's not going to quit. You're going to have to kill him, which is good. Except for like, I don't think he's going to take the title off Roman. <laughs> well, if anything, you agree that all this damage right before their pay-per-view is to show that Kevin Owens has been weakened down to give him, I guess, a little bit of credibility when he loses to Roman. There'll probably be interference from Jay and Jimmy as well at this thing, too. I would not be surprised if Jimmy Uso makes a return to help out his cousin in TLC. I could I could definitely see that. Uh, you know, Kevin Owens has been beaten down this entire time. He loses to Roman, which is par for the course, course for how Roman has won thus far. Like, he low-blow uh, low drew. He kind of snuck a win against... Uh, was it the Fiend and who the fuck else was in that match? The Fiend drew Mac. When when he won Stroll. the title, Braun. Yeah, that's who it was. Braun. So I mean, like he's gotten some strong wins, but not ever really. I, I don't want to say clean. I mean, like he's winning heelish. So you could definitely do that. But that if you're talking about long term booking, let's say Kevin loses. In some kind of weird way, like you're saying, that would set him up to win it like Elimination Chamber or Royal Rumble. So maybe it's just up in the air of who Roman's opponent is going to be at Mania. <laughs> yeah, they have they have several options, I think, too. Um, all right, let's uh, let's get to the next match. All right, so Otis, you know, I said that they should probably take Chad Gable. Now he's Chad Gable again. Put him on a fucking tag team with, uh, I don't even remember Otis's, uh, Tucky. Cause they're both, you know, they both are, uh, wrestlers, um, do something like that. No, they're going to pair him with Otis, but Chad Gable's not going to wrestle. He's going to be his motivational coach. And, uh, Otis now comes out in a singlet. Looks a bit ridiculous, uh, to his wonderful music that I've already talked about. And uh, this match he had against Shinsuke Nakamura, who we've already talked about, was at one time, or still is considered a Japanese legend, but uh, is reduced to now be squashed by Otis in this match, while Chad Gable stops him from doing the Caterpillar because it's you know it's 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 not the right move trying to get him to do more wrestling style moves, uh, convinced him to do a suplex and then hit him with a Vader bomb for the win, and then afterwards Chad Gable um, tells. Uh, Otis that he he actually was you know wanted him to do the caterpillar apparently and is is trying to trick him but he won uh, based on his own merit if you will and uh, his own instincts and gut so uh, yeah this is a uh, Shinsuke got destroyed Chad Gable's a fucking motivational coach manager and Otis is getting all of his goofiness and fun loving stuff taken away from him let's just take Hacksaw Jim Duggan's fucking two by four. The only thing that I'm fucking stupid. I don't even know. Chris, what do you think? <laughs> I only saw the clips from this, but based on your description, it sounds fucking terrible. <laughs> the match uh, wasn't bad, but I don't care about this. Stupid. Out of all the things to take from Kurt Angle giving him the motivational speaker, like you're talking about, 
that was part of Kurt Angle being Kurt Angle as a wrestler. <laughs> Why did they always cut the legs out from underneath this guy? I don't understand. Like Chad Gable, do not re-sign like a five-year contract with WWE for the love of God. Whoa. Please go somewhere else. You're just way too good <laughs> to rust away in WWE. As as far as like Otis, like. That whole storyline in general is very fucking weird. I'm still waiting for him to get revenge on Tucky. <laughs> like, his tag team partner and best friend fucked him. And uh, we still haven't gotten there yet. So, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, I hated it. All right, let's let's uh, let's move on. Sami Zayn's backstage in a suit. He's ready for the Sami Awards that they've been hyping. It's his. They're, they're bringing back the Slammies. They're doing them. Well, these are the Sami Awards. So he's got his hair all gelled up, and for some reason Big E also is in a suit, and he's uh, laughing maniacally as we go to a commercial break. We come back, and this was the stupidest, one of the dumbest segments. I know it was meant for kids. So they have a video of, uh, they talk about how 2020 has been such a bad year, and even WWE has realized that. It goes to a segment video of Drew McIntyre actually in the fucking ring, and they bring out an animated 2020 it's on its side and has eyes and it's like, you know, spitting everywhere during his promo. And he comes out, he gets claymored by Drew McIntyre, falls into another ring of a pre-recorded match with Roman Reigns from back in the day, gets super punched. And then 2021, who's like Captain America, comes in and helps uh, Drew McIntyre win the match. And uh, yeah, this was fucking terrible. Um, what do you think? Did you like it? Have you seen the the new Match.com commercial? Yes. Okay, so it's like uh, Satan from, uh, was it Legend? Yeah. <laughs> the same costume, and like he meets 2020, and he thinks it's her screen name. He's like, are you 202 <laughs> or whatever? It's like WWE did a shitty version of that without a Taylor Swift song. <laughs> That's yeah. the best way to equate it but i will say this by them heavily featuring drew mcintyre and roman reigns in this video that pretty much is going to give you the outlook of the rest of the year that's pretty much work. yeah i agree so then we have now the sammy awards and it's just a way basically i'll just get down to the main things Bunch of different awards. Sammy wins the first two of them, coincidentally. Third one, obviously, is supposed to go to him. Even more of a reason why Sammy kind of reminds me of Owen. Now he's now he's obsessed with his own trophies, I guess. Uh, anyways, so uh, third one's supposed to go to him, and for some reason, Big E is actually in the envelope. And Big E comes out in that suit that, that Sammy didn't see, and uh, they start going back and forth, and, uh, you know, it looks like what they're setting up, Chris, um, is Big E taking that icy title from Sammy. Uh, I love this segment. I thought it was funny. I'm not going to go too much into it. But it was just Sammy putting himself over. He won for comeback of the year and best superstar in his own awards ceremony. And the third one that was supposed to go to him, Big E tricked him and just setting up more confrontation with the two of these guys. 
Yeah, I thought it was a fun WWE segment for sure. I'm still, I don't understand what they're doing with Sami Zayn because he's going to lose the title to Big E and send him to NXT. Let Sami Zayn return to his full glory as Sami Zayn or make him El Generico or something. Like, he was the biggest baby face that NXT's ever had. Maybe, I guess, him and Johnny Gargano. And when he came to the main roster, he had the match with John Cena, the open, and he had to quit because of a shoulder injury. I was like, they're really going to book this guy really good. And four years later, or three or four years later, here we are. This is what Sami Zayn is. I mean, he's fine as a heel and stuff, and it's okay, but he's – we obviously see what WWE thinks of Sami Zayn at this point. He's never won the, the heavyweight title. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Well, I think if he was in NXT, he could definitely provide a lot. Uh, much to, I'm probably even more so than Finn is, honestly. But definitely be another person to help anchor that show. Um, you know, we've already talked about other people. Uh, Cesaro, Nakamura. You know, people that are somehow fucking incredible wrestlers that are using as jobbers uh, that were NXT <laughs> if, names. If Yeah, I mean, if Sami Zayn came out to his old theme music and was like, ole, 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 everyone would immediately get behind him maybe immediate baby face in NXT. Well, let's hope that this knock from Big E will knock him back down to NXT. Or not back down, over to, should say that. Kayla talks to I, Bailey. What's up? I was gonna say I should I should go ahead and say I love that they're pushing Big E and like giving him a little bit of a run. So Me nothing too. against Big E. It's just weird that it you know Sami Zayn is in the position he is in this company at this point. And also just weird you split the new day up. You could still do a push without splitting the new day up. I agree. Yep. All right, so Bailey had an interview. She talked about how Bianca was full of crap and that she was going to destroy her sword. It, you know, heel promo. They had their match, so. Um, very weird to put this match just on television. This is another situation. This is like, uh, what was it, last week, where first meeting between Asuka and Shayna Baszler in the ring, arguably two of the biggest NXT women's champions, and you have them meet on Raw in a good match, but for free. Like, I just, whatever. But uh, Bianca and Bailey, they had a good match. Um, towards the end, Belair yanks uh, Bailey around by her arm. Belair puts Bailey down and hits a springboard moonsault. Such incredible stuff from Bianca in this match. Between the moonsaults or, you know, doing the kip-ups, the backflips. Just fucking crazy. But anyways, she hits a backbreaker and another uh, over the knee for another pin attempt. Belair drags Bailey over and goes to the top, jumps up, and rocks her. Bailey goes for a draping DDT from the top turnbuckle, but stops and taunts Belair. This backfires as Belair blocks her suplex with one of her own. More back and forth. Bailey charges in the corner, but Belair drops her into the turnbuckle. Belair with a spine buster for a close two count. Uh, Bailey ends up using the ropes for leverage on a pin attempt, but the referee catches it. More back and forth. They trade more counters and roll-throughs. Belair stacks Bailey for another close two-count. Belair uh, powers Bailey up in the air for a powerbomb, but Bailey fights out 
and rakes her in the eye and then just basically takes her face and fucking uh, gives her a modified skull crusher uh, to the, uh, the the mat and gets a three count. So obviously they're going to continue this. We're getting a loss on Bianca, although it's to Bailey. And the fact that Bailey had a cheat, I mean, several times, but also at the ending, raking her eyes and then just taking her off her balance, slamming her head into the mat and knocking for a loop. Good match. This should have been on a pay-per-view. Um, Chris, what do you think? So the weird thing about Bailey here, I thought this match was very good, by the way. Um, the weird thing about Bailey is the entire storyline is that she can't win without Sasha, but then she wins here. Yep. So I don't know, like what? Who did this help? I guess you're continuing the Bailey Bianca feud, but like, who did this help? Because Carmella is not going to beat Sasha at the pay-per-view, so who are you trying to elevate? Yeah, it's just I don't know. just just a weird weird choice. Uh, it, like, just don't do the match. You don't have to do this match. You could just not book this match, Dane. You could just be like, we'll save that for later, and then have Bianca beat like two random ass people <laughs> or something to put her over. You don't yeah, have to do what your title match is going to be in the future. Um, especially cause Bayla's Bailey's lost. She lost a survivor series like pretty decisively. Um, and then she lost like three matches in a row after that or two matches in a row after that. And then she wins by like cheating here. And they've given her pretty much zero promo time. And the entire idea is that you're pushing Bianca Belair. So Bianca losing here is just, I don't know, weird. Nope, I agree. Um, I don't know. Let's end the, uh, the the whole thing with the last segment that happened. Um, we go back to the ring, and out comes WWE Universal Champion Roman Reigns, Jey Uso, and Paul Heyman. Reigns stops on the ramp and raises the title as the pyro goes off. Reigns heads to the ring to deliver a final pre-TLC message to Kevin Owens. Uh, Reigns has a mic for the longest time. He says he's been trying to understand why. If you have a chance to be in the ring with him on the island of relevancy in the main event of a pay-per-view in a title match with Roman Reigns, why would you ruin it? Reigns says this is what... The kids of Owen's kids and their kids will talk about. This is what will elevate your career. He goes on, but the music interrupts. Out comes Owens. He's in bad shape. He's he's limping to the ring. He uh, gets there, grabs a steel chair, and takes out Uso, who is trying to charge at him. Owens hits the ring and uploads, uh, stopping Reigns from picking up a chair. Uso enters from behind and super kicks Owens to save Reigns. Reigns runs the ropes and takes Owen down with a spear. Reigns delivers chair shots and jabs while Owens is down. Uso is sliding tables and more chairs into the ring. Reigns continues with the chair shots to Owens. Uso puts Owens through a table. Reigns and Uso talks trash as Owens struggles to crawl. Reigns says Owens had the opportunity of a lifetime, but he chose to piss him off. Reigns grabs Owens and drives him through another table with a big Samoan drop. Reigns grabs half the chairs and slams it on Owens, then does the same with the other half of the table. 
Uso slides two more tables in the ring, two more ladders. Reigns has them piled on him and just keeps on piling more and more plunder on top of Kevin Owens' body. It kind of looked like the scene from that one part in ECW where the wrestler said, can I get a chair? And everyone <laughs> threw it on top of him. Just covered F- Funkin- Kevin Owens. <laughs> yeah, Funkin' Cactus Jack when they did like this, or they moved their arm for the chairs. <laughs> just, just like a huge pile. Yeah, Jesus it just kind of looked like that. <laughs> so Kevin Owens is all fucked up. He's just completely annihilated in there. Roman Reigns and Jey Uso, they're like, all right, you know, they're done. They're going towards the back. And then they see on the monitor while they're like, you know, going over like, you know, happy about their work, if you will, that that fucking Kevin Owens moves everything out of here like he's Mick Foley and you can't fucking stop him, opens up a chair and sits down and insists that Roman comes to the ring uh, to face him. So, uh, yeah. He uh, he continues on with a promo. He said he's going to win the WWE Universal title at TLC on Sunday, or, or at least he's going to do it or die trying, um, 50 Cent style. And that's it. It goes off with Roman Reigns being fucking utterly pissed that he can't put this guy down and Kevin Owens coming out of it. And what I love about this, Chris, is that Kevin Owens said last week when he set up the table and he set up the ladder and he chair that these are his friends that are – that are going to help him like Roman has his friends, like his, his, his cousin Jay that's got to help him win every fucking thing. Well, these are his friends that are going to help him. So what does Roman do? He fucking annihilates him and uses all of his quote-unquote friends to throw on top of them and thinks that he's down and out like, I actually got the upper, uh, you know, I bettered you. And still, Kevin Owens will not fucking quit and shows that he can't be taken out easily. I still think he's losing, though, at the pay-per-view. But I really loved this ending. I thought this was awesome. I thought it was a fun ending, and I definitely agree with you. I think he's losing at the pay-per-view unless Roman is sick or something or has an injury that we don't know about. He has been wearing that brace on his hand, if you know what I'm talking about. So, like, they could do a swerve and have Kevin win, and he comes back, like, two months later or something. But, yeah, outside of that i mean if you saw babyface get his ass beat this bad you would expect him to win at the pay-per-view but it's also roman reigns and paul Heyman, so um weird i haven't watched talking smack yet but i know kevin owens continued on talking smack did you get to watch that at all because no but i will be checking that out yeah paul Heyman was also on talking smack and kevin owens once again had a very polite conversation (laughs) oh god which is uh it's good i mean i think this is the way the the problem with kevin owens is this is how you should have booked him after he beat john cena you know as this anti-establishment guy so now you're trying to get us behind him years and years later and kevin's great it could work I love his interactions with Paul, but the problem is, is like you don't see that on your like you don't see that on your TV screen. You have to go out of your way. You have to watch Talking Smack or or whatever. Um, so I, I don't necessarily know that the full feud is clicking. Like when Paul Heyman's like he told me I had to say that like apologize, and Kevin's like you do you Paul and whispered to him on Talking Smack like that's. 
that is some of the better things to get you invested in this, but you're not, it's WWE, so unless you're a huge social media guy, you're probably not ever going to see that. So it's interesting to see what they do. Um, I'm assuming that Kevin Owens gets fucked over by Jay Uso or Jimmy Uso at this pay-per-view and maybe you set up a tag match or something. Uh, because I feel like him and Daniel Bryan still might be a thing down the line. They did sow yep. the seeds for that. Uh, unless, like I said, unless Reigns is having, you know, a relapse, he does have health problems. He has leukemia, leukemia right? Uh, unless he got it again, I think he defeated it or whatever. But then obviously it's still in his bloodstream. So um, yeah, and I know his hands busted up. That's why he's wearing that weird gold cast thing. See, on his I thought hand. I thought he wore that to like because it, it, he does a Superman punch, so he's just trying to like because he he dressed that up as the Infinity Gauntlet at one of the pay per views. Is it because his hands fucked up? That's what I read in the Observer. Is that it was oh. odd that he was wearing that because it's like braced on the sides. So yeah, he, it is. Um, so it's not just like him putting on cool gloves and be like, let's do cool glove stuff. Like, you know, Stone Cold putting on two knee braces, <laughs> two knee braces is not like, cause like, I want to look like a real cool guy. Uh, no, that's, uh, my knees are <laughs> fucked. Don't go after him. What? Drop but, me uh, on my neck. What? <laughs> let's go over, uh, PLC, uh, these matches and, uh, finish up this wonderfully long, but very informative show. First match we have on, I would have traded the two tag matches. I would have put this on Raw, even though it's probably going to be a great match. But I I, I really, Street Profits and um, Dolphin Rude could have replaced. But we got the New Day, Kofi Kingston, Xavier Woods going against the Hurt Business, Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin. They've already fucked this up, uh, but MVP called them out. Uh, so we're, we're doing this again. I think this will be the time, and I think they should have done it on Raw recently that the Hurt Business will win, and I feel like Cedric, once again, will at least claim the, the maybe steal the pin at the end and claim it since he's kind of doing a similar thing uh, within his faction that MJF's doing in the inner circle, uh, so he'll get the credit for it. If they if the New Day win, I don't know what the fuck the point is. So I'm going to go with the Hurt Business, Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin. I'm sure there will be fuckery from MVP as well. What do you think, Chris? Gonna have to agree with you, though I think New Day needs a win. So I'm gonna go with Hurt Business just because I I do feel like they're gonna turn Cedric Alexander heel or something or do something weird with that group. So I'm 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 same with you, but also New Day needs like some strong wins very soon because they just lost to Street Profits and they've been getting their ass handed to them without Big E. Yep, I agree. All right, Sasha Banks, Carmella for the the women's uh, SmackDown Women's Champion. Uh, Sasha Banks has to win this. She's never been able to do this. It's on a pay per view against Carmella. If they fucking put the belt on Carmella, I'm going to be very angry. I'll just say that. What do you think? Uh, same. I think Sasha retains. You can set up a storyline here with some kind of if you if you want to do something with her and Bailey or her and Bianca in the future, you could. It just depends on when the matches get put in place, I guess. But uh, yeah, I expect Sasha to win. 
All right, we got Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, the Raw, or no, the WWE Women's Tag Team Champions, going against Asuka and To Be Determined. Lana was absolutely destroyed because uh, she's supposed to be a baby face we're, we're supposed to care about. Anyways, you think this is the return of Charlotte? I think this is the return of Charlotte. I think Asuka and Charlotte will be the Women's Tag Team Champions and beat Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax. What, what do you think? I don't know if they'll beat them for the tag team titles, but I definitely think Charlotte is coming back. So I, I that's going to be the mystery tag partner is the one that makes the most sense, unless you're going to bring someone in like Tessa Blanchard, which I doubt. Uh, Charlotte should be good to go, according to her Twitter, where she's working out every day. So I'm assuming Charlotte. Uh, and we, uh, we're, we're hoping there's no way it's Carrie Sane who actually resigned with them for some fucking reason. That'd be amazing, though, because Carrie Zane's great. She's um, great, but they're gonna—they're not gonna use her well at all. True. Uh, yeah, she's too small, Dane. Ugh. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I mean, how tall was your sleeve? Fucking stupid. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, when you think about the uh, the aspect of Charlotte coming back, you can have the team descend. And break up, and then you have like Charlotte versus Shayna and Charlotte versus Asuka. People really need to respect how important Charlotte is to WWE because she is a big performer yep. who is always the person you can put against. Like, I know that the uh, Sasha Bailey feud was on the top feud list in a very, very, very lackluster year for female feuds. <laughs> considering covid but uh yeah charlotte's the person you can throw in there and always be safe she's the safety net like we talked about uh the the becky when becky lynch won the title from ronda or whatever the reason they put charlotte there is like you know it's going to be a good match if charlotte's there i agree all right and nia Jax, hopefully she'll be sent to the performance center soon too uh get taught by <laughs> fucking true gulak and an Undertaker and whoever. Um, yeah, out of people, out of people, to fucking send there, <laughs> like her versus Keith Lee. <laughs> Jesus Christ. They're they're no, more no. worried about finesse than safety. <laughs> Samoa Joe's like, you should have sent AOP there. The fuck, bro? Got, got seventeen concussions. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Drew McIntyre versus AJ Styles with almost. In a TLC match, we know that The Miz might have something up his sleeve with Morrison, uh, but he was pissed off that AJ said that what he was hoping that he would fuck over Drew because he knew that he it would be way easier to beat The Miz than to beat Drew McIntyre. So I don't know if Miz will get involved. Uh, I know that I think Drew McIntyre is going to win unless they are now worried and they're like, well, AJ's, we'll just put it back on him. You know, that, that could happen as well. So, But I'm going to go Drew McIntyre. I'm going to go Drew McIntyre as well. Uh, I don't see the the reason of throwing it to AJ, especially because they are they put uh, his manager back down in boot camp as well in the training. So, yeah, I, I don't know. All right. The one that you've been waiting for, Chris, the one that's the most exciting match ever, the fiery Inferno match. Between the Fiend Bray Wyatt 
and Randy Orton. Who wins? Who cares? We all lose. Uh, fucking, I'm going with Randy Orton. I mean, no, I guess I have to go with Bray Wyatt. I don't know. I don't fuck. This is dumb. Who's the baby face in this? <laughs> the Fiend. The Fiend is the baby face. So, I'm going to go with Alexa Bliss gets the win. <laughs> it's Randy Orton dead center in the middle of the ring. I'll go with that, too. Fuck it. All right. The one that we've actually been waiting for. TLC for the Universal Championship. Kevin Owens, Roman Reigns. Like I've said, I think Jimmy Uso is coming back. I think him and Jay are going to help Roman win against Kevin. Kevin got his ass destroyed, like we talked about, on SmackDown. Especially added interference. It won't make KO look as bad if he loses to Roman Reigns. And I don't think Roman could lose right now. But... um, Take Kevin out for a little while, revitalize him, put him somewhere back in the title picture, I, I would say, or at least get him in a feud with another top person. Um, and I like your idea of possibly a tag team with him and whoever versus maybe the Usos, or they could figure out something. Uh, what do you think? Really depends on what uh, Roman's health is like. If he's not hurt, if he's good to go, I'm assuming Roman will retain. If he is injured, which we haven't heard, but we have heard like rumors of, um, I would do a double turn. Like I said earlier, I would have Kevin Owens just fucking powerbomb the shit out of them on the apron and go that way. Um, or you could just have Kevin be the the big baby face who gets a huge win, but it, it's, it's very hard to believe. But then Goldberg beats broke. him. Yeah, and then Goldberg beats him next week. <laughs> so, <laughs> or whatever the next pay-per-view is. I'm assuming Roman's going to retain. I would love Kevin to get the title. Um, but yeah, Roman's on fire. And unless, I mean, they could do something cool where, because you've had so much Kevin Owens. and See, this is a problem with not showing this shit on TV. Because of the Paul Heyman and Kevin Owens like interactions, if you could have Paul Heyman cost Roman the match or something, like there's a lot of cool stuff you could do. But they, I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming Roman is just gonna win, and then whoever wins at Rumble will go against Roman, which will probably either be The Rock if they can get him, Brock Lesnar, or Shit, I don't. Yeah, I don't even know who else you would throw out there. I don't know. Um, Daniel Bryan, I guess. If you went from first to last again, you could do Daniel Bryan versus Roman. But the, I mean, Roman is obviously, even if he retains against Kevin tonight, he's he's carrying that thing to Mania because he's their biggest heel. I agree. All right, so they haven't added it to it, but I could see them doing this last minute. If you have Sami Zayn versus Big E, does Big E take that IC title? Probably. I would say so. It seems like they're behind Big E, so I could see him taking that title. I know this would be very fast um, and impromptu, but if this happens, Jimmy does cause, along with Jay, the loss to Roman. And then maybe if we have this thing where Sami loses to Big E, if we had like a confrontation of, of Kevin Owens going up to Sammy and obviously he's been a fucking heel, like a motherfucker, but Kevin's like, you're my fucking, you know me better than anyone. We've had our battles. 
but I need someone that can have my fucking back and destroy the Usos, and you throw him and Sammy together against the Usos possibly for the future. I mean, if we're fantasy booking, he comes out with a mask on and helps Kevin against the Usos. He's all generic or, yeah, again. Do that. You can do that with a mask. I like it. All right, well, that seems like the best way to end this long but very informative episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. I uh, hope you guys liked it, uh, liked all of our reviews and or commentary towards professional wrestling nowadays. And, uh, yeah, keep on checking us out. Uh, Chris? Any closing statements and say goodbye to all the lovely people out there. Whatever you got to plug. I do want to remind everyone that Big E has been an Intercontinental Champion before. So this, him winning this is not going to be a huge accomplishment. <laughs> just give a shout out. Love Big E. Just just throwing that out there. Just shit him on and him AJ right Lee as a team. Him and AJ Lee. Remember that? That was a thing. Uh, outside of that, uh, DDT. Definitely check out El Generico versus uh, Kenny Omega. It's out there if you search it. Hell yeah. It's great. I need to check that out. But, um, all right, yeah, you guys have a good one. Appreciate you checking out this episode. Uh, to new listeners, we do this, like I said, sometimes twice, mostly once a week. We record on Saturdays, have it up by Sunday, Monday. Go over everything. Sometimes they're shorter, sometimes they're longer. If you got to half them, half them, you know, come back. We always got good stuff for you to hear that will make you want to listen for the whole entire duration of the motherfucking show. So, uh, yeah, definitely um, appreciate you guys. Go to Wrestling Geeks Alliance on Google. You can find our Red Circle account uh, within there or various other platforms. But on Red Circle specifically, give us ratings. We would appreciate that. And uh, you'll find links to different ways to listen to it on Spotify, iTunes, pretty much every listening uh, downloadable platform that you could, uh, you know, just search Wrestling Geeks Alliance, go to geekfightsnation.com, and you'll find news articles and also ways to talk to us, um, you know, on either Facebook, Twitter, and or Instagram at Geek Vibes Nation. Come find me at Danals42. What's your uh, Twitter handle, Chris? At Chris R. Patton. So if you want to talk, you can definitely hit me up. Um, hockey starting back in January. So Skits Throws will be out there. If anyone loves hockey, check that out. We got some good, good, good content coming your way. Absolutely. And um, hopefully we'll get that horse show up uh, sometime soon. It's been very busy. I decided to try to do this during the fucking holidays in December. And that's, uh, that's something. But we'll get that up. I'm going to be also doing a show with the Kalinas about Spider-Man 3 rumors. We had one already, but we're going to do another one, probably a Dane Rants, coming out soon. Thank you guys so much. Y'all have a lovely, lovely day or evening from whenever you're listening to this. Come back and listen, of course. Thanks to all of the guys that have been listening to us in the beginning. You guys are awesome. Peace out, and let the Geek Fives be with you. All right, bye. Say goodbye to everyone, Chris. Say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.